Hey everyone, welcome to the Growing With Fishes podcast. This week we have Melbourne Aquaponics joining us. Um, we also have uh, Marty. Hello. We got Mr. Green Jeans. I guess he's having uh, putting this kid uh, uh, to sleep. Um, he'll be back in a minute. We got Roger, who survived the hurricane, who is having some sound problems, but uh, he'll be—he's working on that right now. He'll be joining us in a minute. There's Mr. Green Jeans. Sorry, had to get rid of the screaming kid. <laughs> no worries. Already. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Um, uh, all the way from Melbourne. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for the invite and uh, uh, your, your podcast. And I'm quite impressed with the number of uh, of events you you run. It's uh, it's quite good and quite informative. So I think I'm gonna watch a few of them of the of the old one you did, and I'm gonna follow now going forward. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? You put a lot of great educational videos out there to help people. Uh, you know, getting started with the, with stuff. We like to uh, often support uh, content creators that put out a lot of good info. And uh, um, I appreciate you taking the time to join us, especially with the time zones. You're, you're a whole day ahead of us, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Actually, for me, it's it's, uh, it's all good because it's uh, I mean, 11:45 now, uh, the morning, and um, it's a public holiday here, so it's it's really perfect for me. <laughs> uh, Did we lose him? Anybody else's audio? Yeah. I don't hear anything. Audio. And knocked out. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> um, if you can hear us, uh, I guess you had a lag spike or something. Um, worst case, uh, disconnect and reconnect. Just use the link again. Roger, did you get your uh, stuff sorted out? You're dropping like flies. I know. All kinds of issues today. We'll get it straightened out. Um, I do apologize for the technical issues. Uh, uh, Marty, what have you been up to while, uh, while we're waiting for uh, Jonathan to, to sort out his technicalities? Um, what have I been doing? Let's see. I just um, sprayed for bugs earlier today. Um, I had um, a couple of aphids pop up in my last round, so um, I cleaned everything up really good and sprayed everything down. Oh, we got somebody back. Yeah, yeah sorry guys, I, I had uh, an issue with uh, with my connection, but I'm back. Hopefully, it's gonna work now. Yeah, oh, we can see it. Yeah. So uh, go, go ahead, tell us, tell the community about what you do and uh, what you're about. Yeah, so um, I started uh, Melbourne Aquaponics uh, probably 2013 as a, as a business. Um, before that, um, I, well, from, from uh, being a kid, I've always been very attracted by aquatic environment, uh, spending a lot of time studying fish, um, jumping in the river, diving, fishing, and uh, very 
interested by the aquatic ecosystem, really. Um, and I started my studies in uh, landscaping, and I, I specialized in, uh, in pond, ornamental pond um, creation. Uh, so I worked uh, in different design, but always it was outside. Uh, the aim was not really to produce some food, but to, to have a nice area. You know, the, for me, the aesthetic was very, very important. But um, after this, you know, I worked for two years with a landscaper. We designed different types of ponds and I really enjoyed it. But I wanted to know a bit more about, um, you know, about this eco ecosystem because all I knew was the things I could, I was able to learn by myself. But as a kid, I tried to keep fish alive in my, in my aquariums, you know, in my ponds. And I had, at the beginning, you know, I, I made some trials and I killed some fish, unfortunately. Um, so I wanted to know more about uh, what exactly um, a fish needs to grow, um, what are exactly the requirement of the fish, but also of the whole ecosystem. So I went to school. Um, I started to do um, a degree in aquaculture, which I enjoyed. And I learned a lot of things. Uh, and I worked also in different types of fish farms. Uh, but there, when I started to work in the fish farms, I've been a bit uh, disappointed uh, because uh, I, there is this sentence that for me means a lot, is that uh, when I was working in those fish farms, instead of growing fish, I was managing disease. Uh, I don't know if it talks to you, but uh, the, the way we are producing food nowadays in the society we are working with such uh, an intensive um, uh, way of growing uh, the animals that they are all sick, always stressed, you know. And uh, my was to feed the fish, fish and chemicals into the water to basically manage the quantity of disease. That and, you know, when I was doing that, oh my God, did I sign off? This is what I want to do in my life. You know, I don't want to be that are stressed, that are patient. Uh, a few dollars at the end of the Obviously, I was not paying much, but, but was not making much money. You know, they just try to stay flow to, to have a wage at the end of the, the month. But even by doing that, crazy money. It's just the system, the way the system is working at the moment. You know, it's not... It's not really well designed. There is another way to that was I was not happy. You know, I was happy to, to fish to learn a lot of things, you know, a lot of all the field trip of things that are very 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 tech. Uh, I was able to learn was very 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 useful for, for it. But I was not happy to, to see what, what kind of other I had. I wanted to work with the whole ecosystem, you know. And back in the days, there was a, in Europe, uh, there was a, a project called Aquatrit because the uh, population started to realize that the, the state or the, how to say, the pollution in the river was started to increase even more and more. And yeah. where I come, from, I mean, in France, uh, on, the, on, the, on the west side of France, because yes, I'm French. I live in Australia, but obviously you can tell with my accent. And uh, there, uh, we have a big problem with also the pork industry. So the pig, uh, you know, to grow the pig, we grow them in so, into some big buildings and the fish farming. The life of those pigs is awful. 
But the reality is those pigs, obviously, they, they reject a lot of waste. And those waste, they are, uh, uh, they are spread in the field. And when there is a rain, all, this, uh, all those organic matters, they go back into the river. So in the river, you got uh, uh, of nitrates. So a, a real pollution into the environment because you got all the algae that are growing at once. And during the night, they absorb the oxygen and the water. So all the fish die. So we got those, those type of problems uh, in France. And when you add uh, the fish farms on the river, it's even more pollution. And around 2005, they started to, put, uh, to try to reduce the pollution into the river, and they started to put a tax on the pollution. So if you had a fish farm and you were rejecting some rats and phosphorus into the river, they started to tax you, which was, I think, a great, great thing they started to do. So uh, based on the fish farmers, and they thought, okay, how can we decrease uh, the quantity of nitrogen that we reject into the, into the water? Not specifically, uh, um, how to say, ammonia and nitrate, but also nitrate, the whole thing. And uh, there was this program called uh, Aquatreat. There was this guy, they, they just thought, oh, okay, I'm going to put, you know, they just watch at what is happening in, in nature. And they realized that obviously in an ecosystem, in a lake, for example, you got some fish that are growing. Uh, but you pollution, you know, the fish are into the ecosystem and the ecosystem is balanced in such a way that you don't have an increase of the pollution and uh, you don't have any problem. Everything is balanced. Everything. So then they thought, okay, we're going to put at the back of the farm, we're going to put a reed uh, grow bed. So reeds, it's like, um, it's like bamboo, if you want. You know, some, some vegetables, basically some plants, growing some plants at the back of the fish farm. Uh, so we, we, we followed this project with a lot of interest and uh, we, the revolution was decreasing dramatically uh, at, after, this, uh, after this grow bed. So then we thought, oh my God, that's such a, such a good thing, you know, we can just, uh, we can just mimic or, or reproduce what is happening naturally in nature and we're going to have good results and uh, we're going to be able to minimize the impact. But economically, we had another problem is that in those farms uh, where the grow bed was, then they produce all this quantity of reeds. So same type of thing, they didn't know what to do with it. So they had this huge quantity of biomass that then they needed to, to treat, to do something with. And uh, economically, it was not very interesting it, to, uh, to release the, the nitrogen directly into the river. Uh, but then it was the beginning of aquaponics back in this year. So a guy in a, in Canada, uh, strawberries at the back of the fish farm. And when I realized this, I thought, okay, we have to change everything. That's the way we are supposed to grow food. And, this, you know, the origin of, I mean, when you look at any ecosystem, when you walk in a forest or anything, the, all the nutrients, all recycled, right? So why are we wasting all those things when we work in, aqua, in, a, in aquaculture? Because in aquaculture, we just add so much food it's it's because you need a lot of resources to to create this uh, this food you distribute it in the in the in the farm and then at the end you got all the, that is lost and that is condition for the environment while it could be could be uh, recirculated and we could do some great things with it i thought yeah that's definitely the solution that's what i want to do so i started to experiment um, at home with some aquariums, a uh, lot, lot of different things. 
things because I, I was still, uh, you know, I still design poems. I really enjoy doing those type of things. Um, and I also, I continued my studies. I wanted to know more about uh, the quality of, uh, of the food that we are eating. So I did a master's in um, uh, food science. And uh, I really started to launch this company. So I moved to Melbourne and I started to uh, work with aquaponics and to offer aquaponics setups to my customer. I, are you here, guys? I, I am doing a monologue now. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You're, every once in yeah. a while, a little bit choppy, but it's coming in mostly okay. So absolutely, buddy. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. Okay. We're just trying yeah. not to interrupt because your audio finally cleared up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So just after that, yeah, I started to, to offer uh, some uh, local customers really of aquaponics as, as we know it nowadays you know because now it's becoming famous but back in the days it was not so famous so um, people were very happy to start working with it and uh, so the problem is they didn't know how to manage the setup so I was designing some really nice my trouble to maintain the setup balance so then I thought okay have to work on the training and that's where i started to train people so i i got some groups of people coming at home and we got through the setups to all together and to work at the beginning in um, plus uh, trainings and uh, nowadays i'm offering more online training and webinars and you know larger scale things and I also uh, try to spread aquaponics all around the world because I think this is really the way we should produce our food, we should consume food locally. I also uh, created a YouTube channel with uh, a lot of free videos because uh, yeah this way of growing food should be available to everyone in the world. So that's the idea. So we got a Melbourne Aquaponics uh, channel on YouTube and then we got the work for people who want to go a bit further. Uh, we offer um, specific trainings um, adapted to their needs. Um, and we are definitely special aquaponics more than commercial aquaponics. Can you hear me, guys? <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a, a yeah. bit of Australia. So, so what are some of your highest viewed videos on your channel? I apologize for some of the background noise. Um, what's the highest viewed videos on your channel, and what have been your most hot topics? Uh, uh, I think the highest one is around hundred thousand views. So it's not uh, it's not super for me. It's it's quite good. Um, and the topic is about uh, how to basically start aquaponics, how to cycle your system. Uh, I just found out people have some difficulty on how to the, the ecosystem because obviously we are working with different types of creatures, obviously the plants, but in the middle we got the bacteria that are doing the magic of aquaponics. And uh, unfortunately, we can't really see the bacteria with our eyes. We need them, but when you start aquaponics, uh, you need to basically have a good population of bacteria, the good spaces, but also the good biomass, able to introduce the fish, use the fish, but you will have some peak of, uh, of ammonia and nitrate, and uh, those two 
can be very toxic for your fish. So you have some chances to lose your fish. Um, so those type of topics, uh, that's the kind of topics that people really want to learn about because, uh, you know, you got parts in aquaponics, something that you can see all the, all the water flow. You can really see it. You can appreciate and you can, you can understand if it doesn't work. You really see there is a problem. But from, uh, from the bacterial activity, you, you don't really see it. And unless you test your water and you really understand what is happening, because that's one thing to test the water and to treat ammonia, but you need to, to what is a concrete of pollution in my setup. And how can I ban? How can I react to first save the life of your fish if you made a mistake in the conception? Sometimes there are some things you need to do straight away to basically balance the system, decrease the and then maybe to modify the way you are dealing with the system. Maybe you have too many fish, maybe you don't have enough crow bed. Um, so, topics I think help people to understand certain knowledge and i don't think it's very difficult to understand it's just that it's uh, you need a bit more imagination to understand what is happening in the setup and a bit of experience as well so what have been some of the more unique challenges you've had growing in australia well uh the thing is uh here we are in, in melbourne so melbourne of australia right if you, if you want to go uh, lower, then it's Tasmania, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the island. So we are at the, at the extremity south of Australia. And the particularity we have here, and that's a real challenge, is that uh, in summer we are in very high temperature. You know, we can have 40 degrees Celsius. So you really increase in summer. But in winter, we are quite low. Uh, we can have the temperature below 8 degrees, um, 6 degrees. So it's quite quite low in terms of temperature so um and because it's a big country when people uh, beginners look at what type of fish they can grow in aquaponics you know they're going to hear about uh about barramundi you know those type of fish that are kind of tropical tropical fish so that the some of them try in melbourne uh, unfortunately those fish are not going to survive when the temperature goes below 20 degrees and definitely not at six degrees. Then, even for people who are experienced, it's still a challenge to maintain fish in very low temperature at six degrees. Uh, fish, uh, native fish that we have, such as silver perch. I'm really talking about fish here, so you may not be a, a very familiar with this type of fish, but um, just for your information, you know, we got silver perch, we got, uh, we got um, golden perch uh, and some uh, native also catfish. All those fish, they are very well adapted to Australia, but during winter, they first part of the river and they just, you know, they just wait. They, don't, uh, they, don't, they are not very active. They, they just wait for winter to pass and then they, they uh, become active again. So the challenges we have in aquaponics in Melbourne is to work with those native fish and uh, to get through winter, because obviously in a small aquaponics setup, uh, in a backyard aquaponics, the fish are still stressed the whole year because you know you got people who are walking around the, the tanks and not really relaxed the same way they would be in a river when they go in the deepest part of the river and they sometimes even stay in the mud. Here, you know, they are exposed. Whereas you fish too. 
uh, the fish becomes weak. And uh, then that's when you start to have some disease such as fungus or kochia, you know, some parasites. So we have in Melbourne. Um, fortunately, we have some way to minimize the stress and uh, to keep our fishing good. A lot of really hard. So, so is there any um, pests in particular that uh, occur more often where you're at? Uh, I know in the U.S. we have lots of spider mites and powdery mildew. What are kind of the more common stuff in your climate as far as pests? Well, from common, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what is your definition of pest. For me, a fungus is a pest, you know, because uh, yeah, yeah. So any fish. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything that hurts your plants, we're considering a pest in that statement. Okay. Oh, sorry, you were on the, on the plants part. Yeah, 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 of course. On the, on the lot of aphids, uh, which, which can be a problem. But we got some nice caterpillars that are locals. So if you, if you wait a bit, you got uh, the population. That are, and uh, for, the, for the, how to say, the, the tomatoes, we got a lot of caterpillars. So all tomatoes and uh, caterpillars. Uh, we got a lot of caterpillars that are coming at once, so they can be challenging. Uh, we got the uh, little uh, white uh, flies as well. Um, but again, we got some local predators here. So for example, for the caterpillars, we got uh, what we call the black hornet, which is not a hornet. Uh, it's more like a fly, but it spawns inside uh, the caterpillar. So the, the local population you know we got a nice biodiversity of of in uh, in australia and in melbourne but, uh, definitely if you leave the pests you're going to have some little troubles maybe one or two weeks but after two weeks those that are going to develop and that are going to basically balance the quantity of pests um, so if you are working on a commercial operations uh, it can and if you have one species of crop and obviously, when you got the caterpillars that are coming, that could be a big problem because they go everywhere. But if you are working with a nice biodiverse crop, of, uh, of, uh, obviously, one time you may have an invasion of aphids on certain plants and have the caterpillars. But uh, altogether, you know, if you have a nice biodiversity, I think it's, it's reasonable to work with natural not importing anything so that's what i have been doing here and i think i share i share probably 20 to 30 percent of my crops and that's fine for me the, the only real problem we have are the, the possums so i think uh, you have some i'm not sure but we here in australia we got we have possums i have possums living on yeah. my land right yeah yeah so they are a real problem for me. I don't know about you, but... I haven't had a problem with them with yeah. that. They just eat everything else. They eat your cat food and anything else that's around. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, my dogs take care of them. They get the babies. You know, they seem to get the babies. And they're not harmful. I hate to see them get killed, really, but because they're, they're a harmless animal, really. They're just a pet, yeah. as, you know, as we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, exact. Exact. Uh, so, so for, for, for us, it's a real challenge because they are everywhere. Like, really, so that's uh, the country of possums here. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, like, it's, it's re they're really nice to see, but they can, they can really 
eat your whole garden in one night. It's just crazy what they can eat uh, in terms of fruits. There, they, I share fifty percent of my crop with them. It's just crazy. So I put, I try to put some nets. I try different things, uh, and I even tried some. Uh, to try, uh, you know, the, this is so basically you can trap them and you can release them a bit further, but you can't release them uh, too far. You know, there is a special rule for that. Hmm. You put them two kilometers away from your home, it's illegal. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really challenging. And every time I trap them, the next day I got another one in the I mean, is that. So nothing you can do around a garden? Nothing you can put around a garden will keep them out? Nothing? Yeah, yeah, it's the orange cage, I imagine, uh, with a real wire. But if you just build, uh, I mean, I just put some normal uh, bird net, bird, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, it's not enough. You know, they are able to go through. <laughs> so it limits it limits uh, the impact, but they are still here. So that's, uh, for me, the challenge I have. Because I'm... Yeah, I think maybe electric wire, the pulsing electric wire, like for, you know, would, would maybe work, you know. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know, you know, you might even have to, I, I don't know, do they do they dig a lot? I know they climb trees. I never really studied them enough. Do they dig or do they just go in through the, whatever, however they can get in? No, yeah, I think uh, I've never seen them digging. They are not really on, on, the, on the ground. They are always on the trees and... Uh, yeah. On layers and all those things. As you you probably do the same for for, for me the, the tomatoes. I like to grow them as a as a vine because uh, right. you know how it is. I work with red grow bed uh, aquaponics, and therefore the the surface is very limited. You know, and I like to grow as much uh, veggies as possible. So you're growing indeterminate. So that start to grow. Yeah, you're growing indeterminate tomatoes that grow in a vine. Of yeah, a exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so when they, when I try to run them away from the base, from the from the grow bed, you know what I mean. So in this case, I don't use the, the light for the other veggies. So the tomato is growing a bit. Further. I run the tomato on cables. You know, I got some big cables on the on the top of my property, and uh, it makes a, a nice shed. Actually, it's really enjoyable. But the palms are enjoying it too because they just run on the cables and they eat the tomatoes. <laughs> So that's uh, that's a the real challenge. But anyway, yeah, if they're I, really smart. They're smart animals, yes, man. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah, they are super smart. And if I really wanted, if I had uh, some uh, financial, uh, I would definitely um, put something together to really keep them away. But uh, you know, the idea of my business is really to uh, to bring and to do what we do. I don't want to do uh, something too commercial. Uh, my, the land where I live is very small, so I don't want to, you know, to have electric wires or those type of things. Uh, I try to keep it simple, and uh, yeah, it works this way. But yeah, that's why that's it with uh, with them a bit too much probably. <laughs> maybe something, maybe planting something for them. You know, the old the the old. Uh, the old organic solution you know always plant extra for the critters but of course these guys you know they'd eat the whole shit right but maybe there's maybe there's some other crop that would be relatively inexpensive for you to plant out around the perimeter you know i don't know you're 100 percent right mr Grigen, because um 
uh, grow sauce and uh, I got some chickens, right? And uh, the truth, we got uh, an area where we put uh, the compost. But the compost is actually the, the waste of the veggies that we put there. And when I got a lot of veggies on the compost, I realized that uh, during the night, I got less impact on my garden. But the night where I got less, less obviously they go in the garden. Garden. So that's your spot on, uh, Mr. Greenjean. It's, uh, it's if you if you give them some food somewhere, and garden. But if there is nothing to eat, they go there and they help themselves. Then they're in the garden, right? If there was yeah. something easier for them to get out and around the edge, you know, something easy to plant. You'll think of it. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what are some of the things that you think are covered enough in aquaponics? Covered enough? Um, yeah, I think, well, I, I'm probably going back to the bacteria, but uh, I think what we don't know much about aquaponics is uh, uh, between uh, all those different animals, you know, because we always talk about fish and plants, and that's what is selling in aquaponics. People want to grow, want to have some nice fish and want to plants to avoid to go to the super poison food. And I'm 100% in line with this. I think it's, it's completely right and that's a good good thing to do. But from the science point of view, I think it's, uh, we don't know much about what is happening and especially the interactions between the bacteria and the fungus and having to use setup and then all the different types of insects and worms. Um, because, you know, when, when you design aquaponics and you can design Anything of the world, you're going to have every aquaponics setup is unique, I think, you know, from uh, a biodiversity point of view, in terms of uh, quantity of animals, but as well, you know, the, your species is always different from one, from one setup to another. It can be because you have a variation into the, the climate, you know, like it's different, pH is going to be used. It always creates a very specific and very unique um, ecosystem. And therefore, some people ask you, what is the productivity of a setup? And it's totally dependent on all those different factors, right? And dependent on you, how you're going to manage the thing. Uh, but what I think what is very important, what, we, what, is it, what are the interactions between those, uh, those fungus that we never talk about? We always talk about the bacteria, not much about that around you know that in a normal soil uh, in the forest the fungus they are responsible they are able to go very deep and to get some minerals and up and to, to all the plants that are around all the, the trees and everything you know that the network of the soil and we have the same phenomenon in, in aquaponics even if obviously the, the grow bed is not so deep we still have a nice uh, network thanks to some fungus and other creatures uh, I think we don't know much about it and it would be very, very interesting to know exactly what is happening. In terms of nutrient exchanges, it's always very challenging to know exactly what is happening, you know. Uh, we we all uh, work a bit old school. I mean, I, I talk for myself, but I think a lot of us are working the same way. You know, we know basically uh, approximately what a plant needs in terms of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. And then we know that there are 12 uh, minerals that are very important for the plants. Uh, and if you look at hydroponics, they are, they are going very deep into it. But uh, hydroponics, what 
what I see as a limit is the fact that we just give to the plant what we think the plant needs, while in aquaponics we leave nature doing the job. We just we just uh, create an ecosystem, and nature is is doing the job by itself. And when we see a deficiency, we add some minerals in, into the into the system, but we never really know exactly what is happening uh, in depth. You know what I mean? Sometimes you see some deficiency. You're gonna add a bit a bit of minerals. You're gonna add some iron, chelated iron, uh, which is uh, which are very important. But then, what is happening really? Because I'm sure you know you got some specific insects that are going to break down the organic matter, and then you got some bacteria that are going to break down those organic matter and to change them in some different molecules. Uh, but you know. We, I think we don't know much as humans of what is happening. Sometimes there are some things we we don't really, we are not really able to understand to to explain. You know, um, also well, then then I'm going a bit far now, but uh, I think you know the cosmos waves, all all the impact of the of the universe on the plants, the moon, the light, the stars, all those type of things. They, they are they are so so interesting, and we don't know much about it. So. I think that's where, for myself, that's where I think uh, there is a lot to learn about. You know, even if we don't really need to um, to uh, to masterize it, we don't really need to manage it, but just to learn to try to understand what's happening in nature. Because I think when you create an aquaponic setup, it's like if you give life to something. You know, it's like when you give birth to a baby, you got this this uh, this little thing that is that is living, but you don't really understand exactly what is happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, um, I had a, a question. I missed the beginning of the show due to te technical difficulties. So since you were just bringing that up about your system and all, uh, and, and uh, the guys here are doing the dual root zone, have you experimented or done or even know what the dual root zone is at, at this point? The dual root zone? Yeah, aquaponics method using the dual root zone. No, 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 no. You're if, you, if you can develop, sure. So, so there's a, a how, couple how-to guides on my YouTube channel, but basically, it's using pots and putting lots of holes in the bottom of the pots, filling yeah. about halfway with hydrogen, putting a layer of burlap or root permeable cloth in between, and the top half with soil, so you can supplement the plants on a per plant basis and boost things like potassium or other things to increase yields. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so that's also another point you know uh, when when you add potassium you got uh, I mean I got a lot of people who want to grow some fruits right so the, the idea when you want to grow some fruit is just to add some potassium in the setup and obviously you, you boost uh, the, the flowering and you boost uh, the seeds and uh, and uh, and the fruit production right. uh, so it, it, it's it's a fantastic thing to do but the, the problem is when we work in aquaponics we are not growing one species we are growing everything together in the same water, in the same uh, mix of nutrients. So then what happened to your lettuce, for example? Your lettuce, you want to grow leaves, you don't want to grow seeds. So if you add too much potassium, then you got the tendency of the, of the lettuce to, to grow, um, to grow those, uh, those flowers and to grow in height. And then it's not really what you want, right? So uh, that, that's also a big, big difference for me between uh, aquaponics and hydroponics. In hydroponics, you want to grow one crop and clean crop needs um, no you put exactly or at least the crop crops like you could grow peppers and this because they both flower yeah that's what i do yeah yeah as long as they're flower just i don't yeah. grow lettuce and tomatoes together but i grow tomatoes and peppers together 
or maybe tomatoes and cucumbers because they I, I grow them all in a vine and grow vertically. Like you said, I hang them to a cable, you know, yeah. eight feet off the ground. Yeah. And that's, how, and, and I have a hydroponic greenhouse. I'm converting now and, and that, and that's why I asked you about the dual root zone because that allows you to, to have individual plants that you have that soil layer in the top and you can add your potassium. So you literally could use the same reservoir with the same fish, but that wouldn't contain the potassium. The potassium would be added at the top, like in a ferment or a yeah. or I like that. Yeah, that's what I, I was just, yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd gone, if you were doing that or you were still, or, or you were doing conventional. And I figured you were doing conventional no. with, with nothing but the fish. I mean, the, the yeah. fish. Right. Okay. That's what my question was originally. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. another way, way for you to supplement your, your, uh, if you check out Steve and them, they did, they've been doing it for a couple of years or a few years. It's really awesome. That's what turned me yeah. around on aquaponics. Okay. That kill root. Oh, okay. Have, we have another question. Um, <clears throat> have you experimented with any Korean natural farming methods with your aquaponics? Korean native native methods. Can you develop this? Sure. Um, so there's different methods of doing fermented fertilizers uh, as supplements yeah. for aquaponics. So. I guess that's probably so, yeah, no then. <laughs> Now we're not trying to don't get us wrong. We're not yeah, trying yeah, to. No, this is, this is we're just we're just asking questions from chat. That, that's all. No, we no. have someone in chat. People in chat were asking those questions. Yep. Okay. Okay. No. 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 no, no. no. So so the only uh, fertilizer I really had is uh, the warm compost. Uh, you know, I go home and I re re recycle the compost, but it's very high in nitrogen as well. So. Um, the other type of setup you have if you already have a lot of fish if it's a whole setup you already got a lot of nitrogen in your in your setup so you don't want to have too much nitrogen so it really depends on the balance we have but uh, i think uh, yeah wormy compost otherwise is quite interesting because you got a big blend of uh, of minerals inside right so your setup you really in that the plants really need and I also I also sometimes uh, spread it on the uh, on those. Uh, I think it really gives it uh, a really nice boost. So what do you use um, for um, pH up and pH down if you use that? Uh, some uh, baking powder, uh, and uh, I never really have to uh, decrease the pH because it decreases naturally. What is your experience? But here, uh, uh, if you a good media, we never basically have to uh, decrease the pH, you know, just by the by it's always going down by itself. Are you, do you have are you using well water? Uh, yeah, sometimes I use uh, the, the I mean, uh, here, but I got some customers who use um, how to say uh, rain water, which is uh, which is a bit acidic as well, right? So, with the pH for this. Again, you'd pH up then probably. It'd probably go down or it'd be too acidic and then you'd pH up with the baking soda. Okay. Yeah. About carbonate. What is the hardness of the water supply there? And and what is the, what's the calcium salt, you know, balance of it? What's, in, you know, do you, do you use the water supply, you know, the regular water supply at all? Or do you just use well, yeah. your own well water? Yeah. So, so what I do, I, I use a tap water and I, Top in person on your 
avoid to, to, to add too much water at once, to avoid to have too much, uh, you know, chlorine in the system or, or other kind already into the, into the, you know, into the tap water, basically. So another, another way to do it is just to leave it into a, a tank, 24 hours or 48 hours. And uh, if you want to do it quickly, you can just add a bit of an airstone inside just to agitate, you know, to have the chlorine that evaporates. A bit. I top in up by 10%. I don't really see any the quantity of system. You know, it's not packed in so much, I think. It's always better if you can, but uh, most of my customers don't have access to this type of thing. So um, we adapt to what we have, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's about what you're talking about with your customers. They're they're doing home systems or they're doing it, you know, where they're out, they're out of the tap at their house that the city... City water, we call it here. Exactly. Did you, exactly. Did, I, did you said tell me uh, say what was the hardness? I was just curious because yeah. like around here in Southern California, I think we're about three hundred parts per million, and about fi about fifty percent of that is calcium, and the other part is the salt, like the halide or whatever. I think you know. Uh, I forget what the okay. chemical component of that is. He's asking, what is the of your water? Yeah. What's the parts per million, the hardness as it comes out of the tap? Yeah, I think I got I just a KH of 400. <sighs> I don't really, take, I don't really uh, analyze it very much, you know. Uh, hmm. I just manage the pH, and obviously I renew some water. So what I do, the system I have as well, is to basically, we, we, uh, we are in a closed ecosystem. So the water stays in the system, right? Uh, yeah. But obviously, you got you, you top up a bit your system if when when it needs to. Sir. But what we do as well is that if you have a lot of fish, you're going to increase your level of stem, right? So you, I mean, it depends on the balance you have. But basically, the grow bed we work with grow bed aquaponics. So grow bed organic matter, the, the ammonia and the nitrates are transformed into nitrates. But then you got some organic matters that take a bit of time to break out so many insects that are present. Solid. And uh, yeah, solids, exactly. And uh, they do the job of transforming all those things. But after a while, if you have your problem that is breeding up, you have your nitrates that are constantly increasing, and you have some troubles to keep up with that. So you have two options. One of the options is more vegetables. But after a while, you are limited in quantity of vegetables. You can add some NFT systems, or you can add some raft system, deep water culture. Uh, that's two options that are very interesting. But the third option is if you are limited in size, if you are limited in, in surface, uh, what you can do is to just use some of this water to water your normal garden, right? So in this case, water from your setup, and you add new water from the tap. So you basically maintain uh, uh, the going to be very close to the quality of the tap, you know, because you, you always add new water in the system and remove some water from the system. So it evolves too much and it works for the pH and the KH, you know what I mean? Like, because you always add new water and you remove some water, it's not like if you leave everything to leave it for 100 years, you know what I mean? It's it's very close. I mean, it's always balanced by the new water that you add in the system. Yeah, yeah. And cool. otherwise, we add we add. So I was talking about baking powder, but we also add uh, 
a lot of natural uh, elements to boost uh, the pH, to maintain the pH. So in the idea of adding a bit of limestone, basically, and also right. um, to, to boost uh, the minerals. Uh, we add, and we add some seashell. So when I talk about seashell, it can be oyster, mussels, uh, scallops, anything that we find on the beach. And also, uh, something that's thin is uh, the uh, cuttlefish bone. Cuttlefish bone is full of aragonite, which is a, a mineral as well. And yeah, it uh, dissolves fast. It, it dissolves easier it's, too. It's like kind of puffy and you know, gets into the water easily. I think. Correct. Correct. So if you if your water is a little bit acidic, you put it under the, the inlet of water, and it's going to dissolve by itself. Dissolves really easily in acidic with, water. Yeah. Yeah. Exact. And uh, what I like to do is to basically um, make a kind of powder with all, all those shell. I put it into, um, um, how do you call it? Um, you know, like a kind of socket, if you want. You make a bag with it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the things, but a bowl, and I put the bullets. And in this case, I can remove it if I need to, or I can add it. It's always good, I think, when you add something in the setup that is solid, to be able to remove it if you need to. Because some people spread it in the grow bed, you know, but uh, the thing is, if for some reason you want to decrease the pH, you can't remove it. While when it's uh, in a bowl, you can really remove it whenever you want. Very cool. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 But think about <laughs> take, putting something in and then removing it after it's done its job. That's, that's something you don't hear often. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you got any more questions? Thank you. Yeah, so what, is your, um, what is your go-to pest control if you do run into an insect? You talked about things balancing out, but do you use any sprays or other methods to mitigate? No, no, I don't really spray. Uh, I could. Uh, I know some people who, who, who spray with nem or uh, with soap or this type of. For myself, uh, I I don't spray anything. Um, I just leave it natural. If I lose a crop, I lose a bit. Because of big biodiversity, I don't, I don't have a lot of one crop. Um, I don't really mind to lose something, you know. Um, I never spray. So you don't do any polar spraying either then? No, no. You say never spray, so I'm assuming that means you don't add any foliar supplements. Okay. Well, I, as I said, spray is a bit of um, uh, wormy compost. Uh, just to to boost a bit the plant, and when you add the wormy compost, uh, sometimes I add water and I a bit of sugar into the water, and I boil. I um, I add the nair stone inside. So basically, you're gonna have a a boost of to the. I don't know if you follow me, but into a big bucket, I put a bit of uh, wormy compost. I add a bit of sugar. Yeah, and I uh, it's gonna you know, you're going to have a lot of agitation and you're going to create a lot of microalgae. You know, it's going to turn a bit green. And when you spray uh, nutrients on the plant, so the plant is able to grow from that. But also I realized that I think the, uh, the aphids and the white, it's not that it reduces the population. Mm -hmm. But I don't spray any anything that I buy or any... Yeah, of oil or anything else. Right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't I expect that. I, yeah, to not do that it. I say that it's not good, uh, but it's just not something that I do. The idea 
stuff. And I try to, to stay very uh, natural and to avoid the quantity of resources that we add. So when we add, we have to add uh, uh, um, some iron, for example. This is something that is definitely necessary for some crop. So here I do, but that's the only real uh, chemical that's chelated, so I, I classify it as a chemical. Uh, that's yeah. the only real chemical that we add into the, into the setups. Okay. Well, it's considered organic here, chelated iron. I use chelated iron. and yeah. all, In fact, my, in my hydro greenhouse, all my micronutrients are chelated. Like yeah, okay. zinc and manganese and magnesium, it's all chelated. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's definitely more available for the plants, and it lasts longer in the in the water. So yeah, it, it's always better to add them in this shape if you can. Yeah. Well, it's so it's so precise. I mean, three parts per million is all you use of iron, probably, and and that's so small that it's nice to have something you know exactly the measurement, so you get it right because you don't want too much iron. You know, you definitely don't want to because yeah. I believe iron is one of the things that'll kill the fish. Real quick, uh, you can't add too much, and uh, also it yeah. depends on the kind of chelated iron because there are a lot of lot of uh, types of chelated iron, and some of them are toxic, even for humans at certain concentrations. So we have to be careful at what we do. Yeah, definitely. Right. Good deal. Um, about the uh, the native fish that uh, is that your choice to use them or is there also like some kind of a law or a restriction to you, you can't use non-native fish something yeah like that? that's a really good question um we have we it's very restricted the yeah. type of fish you can have um so because we are in, in a, on an island and uh, it's naturally insulated from the rest of the world so they don't want any investment to the issue and the fox uh, and the, the, the toad, uh, you know, this giant toad. Sure. Um, so they, they, they try to minimize the type of species you can grow. So obviously, uh, species such as tilapia is, is, uh, is prohibited. Uh, anyway, here in Melbourne, because as I said before, the temperature really decreases in winter. But yeah. uh, we have other species, um, such as carp, for example. Carp, you can't have them. Can't have them, right? So it's you can't have. Uh, you can't. So uh, I know that a lot of people think it's, it's a crappy fish, but uh, <laughs> crappy. Fish. But uh, for, for well, example, the way we I got a question now. Hey, here, 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 koi is considered. You know, koi. You can raise koi here, but it's considered uh, uh, a fish that's not. You can't sell it. Well, you can sell it as a pet, but you can't sell it. Or uh, what? What? I, I now got myself tied up, and I was saying some non-indigenous fish here are allowed to be used for aquaponics, but not to be sold. You know, of course, as food, you wouldn't sell koi anyway. But you know, they allow you to have it where you know, like, so when are you allowed to use a fish, say that could be sold in a pet store, but would be otherwise not, yeah. not be allowed to be put in a waterway? Ornamental. Well, see, I understand that's your question, but the thing is. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it makes sense what you say, but here the, the idea of fish to avoid the environment. So it's not even the purpose of what you're going to do if you're going to sell it or not. It's just the fact that they don't want you to have it at all. Yeah, I, I'm and sorry, I misspoke. Oh. I misspoke. You said they, 
what it is is you're not allowed to put it in the waterways at all or allow it to be going to the waterways. It can be like a koi is an invasive species, but they yeah. allow you to grow koi as a tropical fish or, you know, a fish, you know, to be sold in a pet store. But they won't, but you can't grow it for yeah. to, to, or to stock any kind of pond. It's illegal to put it in your pond, but yeah, you yeah. could have it in a closed aquaponics system. It's just, I didn't know, but you can't have anything there. Yes. Exactly. So the idea, I think it's the same thing. We, they just don't want you to release it into the natural environment, but to make sure it doesn't happen, they don't know. So they went a bit further on this one. Yeah. So they have to but, be even local ones, or can they be from other places in Austria? In, in Austria? So no? Exactly to go then. Koi, uh, um, if I am not wrong, they are allowed in some territories, in some um, states, but not in all. All states and they are not us. So it you got a law per uh, per state. So it's quite complex. You, you can't really do what you want. Uh, but for native fish, you don't have. Uh, yeah, native fish you can have them and that's it. There is no problem because they are present in the river. So right, because you said you have perch there, which would be probably a good fish to work, use anyway. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, nice. And for example, you know red fins. Uh, red fins they are famous everywhere in the world, but uh, here in Australia they are present in dam, but you can't keep them, so you can't take them home and grow them home because they are, are you invasive. To to, for food? Uh, I think you are, but then you got some uh, rules such as uh, you know you have to have the HACCP, hazard analysis critical control point. Uh, all those type of uh, very um, very high um, way way to to comply with the legislation in the the way you handle the the, the food you know the way you handle the fish right if you say can but as soon as you kill them then it becomes a food and uh, you have to really follow some specific rules right here here we got the same kind of situation too I was, that's why i was asking we can like i can raise fish the indigenous fish to sell and um and then uh but i can i i'd have to go through like you said a lot of legislation if i want to butcher them all right if i want to you know if i want to clean them and sell them you know like on ice then I'd have to go through all kinds of, I'd go, I'd have a government, eight different agencies up my behind. But if I want to sell them live, like to, I could sell, I can sell them to you to take home and clean like you caught them in the lake. I can do you that. Just come over your house, come over to the house and buy the fish live. You just buy a, you can buy a, you can buy a, per, a aquaculture permit and it allows you to, like I can raise the fish and you can come pick the fish out you want out of the tank. And I can give them to you, sell them to you, and you take them home and clean them. And that's no problem at all. But if I, once I put a knife to them, then it's got, it's like food. It's food. Now you're dealing with the FDA, yeah, exactly. Food and Drug Administration. That's a, yeah, yeah, exactly the same thing here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it's, so, so, so as a, since you're small, you could supplement like I'm small. So I find different ways to supplement income and plus. You know, it allows you to restock your fish, recycle your fish as they get older and all, you know, and rejuvenate, yeah. rejuvenate cool. your tanks as you go along. Right. To, you know, and help. Well, I also like helping out the poor and the, and the hungry. So I don't mind having some fish that I could even give to a church or something and let them clean yeah, it. That's uh, really good. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, really good. And a and lot of people here also from a, a pet perspective, they are... Um, 
you know, when <coughs> when you start a small aquaponic setup, you start with finger leaves. These are quite small, so they, they don't generate a lot of uh, nitrogen for your setup. So a uh, lot of people are starting with uh, a lot of uh, finger leaves, and then when they grow, they don't have the uh, the capacity to to absorb all those uh, all those wastes in in the system. So then they they sell them on the on the market. But we got a, a little. Um, how you call it, a website here where you can sell things uh, between people. So so people put the fish online and they sell them, but they sell it as a pet, you know. So so you can sell, some people sell 50, 50 fish here, 100 fish here. And it really <laughs> helps to basically finance, you know, finance the, uh, the cost of the setup, you know, in terms of whatever maintenance, electricity, or or if you want to buy new fish food, it's, it helps to basically have a grow your yeah. Okay. So you, it's kind of like a, a, a workaround kind of thing. A little workaround yeah. there. Community workaround. This idea. Yeah. And, and besides, idea. Uh, if you were set, setting up a, a new system and you had somebody that had some big fish, you only need a couple instead of a whole bunch of fingerlings. If you knew somebody with older, with bigger fish, you could use less fish and get the same result. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. See, I've been bugging these guys for a couple of years about all this. That's great to talk, you know, to hear somebody else kind of in, because I'm not out West in California with all these or Washington with all these guys. I'm, a, I'm on the East coast where it's a lot okay. different, you know, what is the latitude in Melbourne again? Do you remember? Do you remember? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what the latitude is to be honest. Yeah. Sorry, for the lake of, we are quite low. We are quite low. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Oh, you're gonna get in trouble saying you're low. I had an argument. One guy said, "Who says we're down under? Maybe you guys are down under, you know." And so <laughs> now you just said low. You got a lot of Australians getting mad at you now. You know. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I just had the guy throw. I got a friend. Uh, I can't. Uh, it, uh, from websites that I've run, I've administrated several cannabis websites. You know. Yep. And uh, I've got friends in Australia uh, that that um, I met through you know, doing these websites, and we used to Skype a lot. I got a friend that's got cancer down there, really bad, but he's uh he's gotten out of the communities because he's spending all his life. He's decided to spend all his life with his uh, grandchildren, so he doesn't communicate much with us anymore. But I I appreciate yeah. that. I think family first, anyway. So. You know, but yeah, I got a lot. Yeah. I, I've got a few friends down there, and and one of them gave me a crap one day when I said, uh, I because I I've got friends from South Africa too, and I'm sorry, but I have a hard time sometimes distinguishing the accent, especially, I don't know. I think it yeah. depends on who you converse with. If you converse with only your native Australians, you're going to have a different accent than if you converse with me all the time, you know, or people. Correct. You know, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you're not talking about accent uh, because I'm, I'm French. Uh, my my English is quite. Uh, I mean, the accent is quite unusual, right? To be very strong. So I understand that you may have some difficulty to get what I say. <laughs> oh no, yeah, but, yeah, understanding you fine. Yeah, and, and yeah, you actually you okay. don't sound like you have an Australian accent either. No. No. <laughs> if you watch any back episodes, if you watch any back episodes of of of. Uh, Growing with fishers, you should watch the one with Frenchy Cannoli. Okay. Uh, not just because he's from France and also has a French accent, but it's a great episode, and he talks, uh, you know, he t talks a lot about hash making. Frenchy is a hash making guy. I don't know if you're, maybe not into that, but he's, he's a very funny guy. 
great. Yeah, great. he is funny. He's got a thicker accent than you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Much thicker. You can definitely tell he's French. I mean, no, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he almost seemed to be putting it on thick. <laughs> so what? How, so there's a question then. You're you're French. How did you end up in Australia in aquaponics business? Yeah. Because um. Okay, so you know where I come from? I come from the border to Switzerland in France. So on the east part, really on the mountains. And we were by my childhood in the rivers and uh, very interested by fish. And when I worked as a landscaper, I was still in this, in this area studying aquaculture. And I had to move on the other side of France, which is 1,000 kilometers away from where I, I was born, to be on the coast, to be really where I want on the sea and, uh, and to be able to study the fish and all those type of things. So when I moved, um, I started to work and I spent, from, from this time, I spent all, I couldn't live back. Uh, but then I, I used to go back to, to this area where I come from, you know, for holidays to see my family and everything. And then that's what my partner, my, and uh, at, at this time she was working on a Switzerland for a Swiss company. Uh, and me, I was in the north of France working on the um, on the seafood research center, and I really liked my job. Uh, I didn't want to go back living in the mountain to be with her, and she didn't want to lose. She didn't want because there was worse. Uh, but then she asked her company, is there an opportunity to move somewhere? And uh, the company offered Melbourne. And when I because um, it's on the coast, you know, and we got the, the nature that is around, and that's a big city, so that's where she can do her job. So that's how we, we moved. So, Isn't uh, it the best city together. in the world to live in, or something like that? You went it, the US. It's, it's been it's been for seven years in a row. Seven and, years. Uh, yeah, really great city because uh, honestly, you have a, a really nice, really nice people. First, people are genuinely amazing here. Um, you got just. Uh, City where all the things you, uh, you got the sea and you got the bay as well. There is a bay, so it's a it's a kind of closed sea where basically it's quiet and you got a yeah good visit. And, like, and then we can go on the ocean side where on the ocean uh, it's more rough. You got big waves, you got big fish. So you uh, just yeah, life is good here. So we love it. Yeah, that's interesting that uh, you were on it. You were, you know, you said you moved to the sea and then you ended up, your wife has a job that takes you somewhere that has the ultimate sea, you know? Yeah. I mean, basically the barrier reef and, you know, Australia and all that. I mean, you got, you got as much sea as you probably can stand now. That's pretty neat. That's a good story there. You know, that that's, a, that's evolving from one area of, of uh, ocean to another. That's just been fantastic. You know. Correct. But as you um, know, the, 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 the story is never finished now. My uh, partner wants to go back because she misses her. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we, we'll see. We'll see what's happening. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's the end of So we've got an open-ended story here. Stay tuned. For part two. <laughs> it's not, it's not the end. Like, go back just, to uh, England. I mean, <laughs> Switzerland. And Switzerland, Switzerland is a good country as well, but uh, there is no much sea there. A lot of lakes. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I misspoke. Yeah, France. I don't know why I said England when it's France and Switzerland. Sorry about that. 
I don't want to. I don't want to uh, change the subject back to the. But I was really, you know, interested when you were talking about the native fish and stuff like that. And I don't, you know, not to get too much back into it, but I just had the one question was about any of the kinds of native uh, freshwater uh, shrimp or relatives of like that. Have you have you grown any of those, yeah. or do you know anything about those? Yeah, we we got some uh, some prawns. Prawns, uh, but they are very. Uh, um, uh, what is the name of this one? Um, you know the red, the, what we call the red cherry? That no, I, not, I don't know that much about them. I want to learn uh, more okay. about them. It's kind of why I'm okay, asking. Okay. You. So, so uh, <laughs> I, at one point, I had some of them in one of my swire fields. It's the only area where I could keep them. Otherwise, uh, in the in the fish tank, the fish uh, get rid of them very quickly because they uh, love them. They are the really good source of food. They are quite small. Mm. Uh, they are transparent, but really nice. And uh, they're clean, you know. So if you have some algae growing, they, they like to eat a bit of algae here and there. Uh, long claws, and uh, they, they do a fantastic job. But they are quite challenging to keep if you have other oh. fish with. So I think they need a, they need a tank by themselves. Okay. What's the temperature, temperature range? So what? the temperature you see here, they stay natively. I, I haven't studied exactly the range, the extreme range they can live in. But here you go to probably 30 degrees in some uh, warm, warm uh, ponds, and they, stay, they remain alive. So you, you see it's very wide. Um, what did I want to say? Yeah, I think uh, they would be good to grow in, uh, in a deep water culture. You know, if you have some rough system, why not underneath because I don't think I mean we have to do some studies on it I don't want to say for sure but I don't believe they would eat the roots of the vegetables but they would definitely clean, clean right. what, you know the, the algae and also step cool. it's interesting to eat as such you know because they are still too small to eat I mean mm -hmm. you can eat them but there is not much to do but what you could do is to grow some in to the sometimes you can fish some and feed your fish with you know so it could be a a good thing to do, you know, because here we have the duckweed, everyone is growing duckweed, vegetarian fish or omnivorous fish, such as uh, the native fish we have, uh, the, the, uh, the jet perch, um, the eaters type of, but uh, if you have prawns, then you could, you could feed your trout, you could feed all the type of fish, and it would be very right. interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. You talk about uh, that's also an, a very interesting topic. Just before you ask me what what I think is is missing or what we don't talk enough, I think yeah, what type of and we can uh, feed our fish with. That's the type of thing that I think is is the future of aquaponics. That's where we're going to do a lot of progress. Insect is a very very interesting point that we need to to dig a bit. To see if we can grow some insects to feed the fish and to kind of close them. It, you know, there's fr so and freshwater gonna... clams, you know, and things yeah, like that too. Yeah. Completely. Muscles. And also then, otherwise, uh, we got some shrimps. But yabies, you know, that's some uh, kind of freshwater crayfish. Uh, mm -hmm. It's quite, quite small. I mean, yeah, maybe maximum 20 centimeters. We got few species. This is grow and we can eat, so very interesting animal to have. Uh, but as you know, all the crustaceans, when they do, uh, the, the shell is becoming super soft and uh, they eat each other. So we can't really keep them at very high density.
Ah, right, right, right. It's something we, we keep aside with the fish, uh, but we keep maybe five per square meter. And as soon as you go over, uh, the population decreases right. because they, they eat each other. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you were starting so to get we, into, starting to say something about what, what you thought was missing was, and you started yeah. to get before we got back into crustaceans, you were talking about <laughs> insects, which is a lot what a lot of yeah. our friends do. They raise their own insects. In fact, I think yeah. Steve even has his own breed of roach that he ra that's being raised to feed fish in aquaponics. Excellent. That's something, yeah, that's something I think we should bring in on uh, a bit more, you know, we should... Uh, have multi tutorials. Australia, a lot of people are going uh, black uh, soldier. Uh, yeah, black soldier fly. Uh, yeah. And it's just fantastic to be able to, to feed your fish with it. But unfortunately, it doesn't work in, uh, in cold, uh, cold area, cold, uh, cold weather countries, uh, especially here. And we can't keep them during winter. So we don't have this option. Obviously, there are a lot of other insects, but people don't know much about it. You know, it's maybe something we should uh, do some because uh, that's the future. At the moment, it doesn't really make sense to uh, to kill some fish, to do some fish food. I mean, to do the, the and then to feed our fish with. You know, to try to grow some other fish with. I think it's so much more efficient if we can feed the fish directly with the insects, and right. in terms of vitamins and everything. Hmm. It's black soldier flies. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with those two over here. Yeah, but they they could be a they could be a yeah. yeah. They do a lot of uh, they use them a lot black in compost soldier. in a lot of compost piles. They use them in the bins because yeah, yeah. they because they yeah. eat everything else that all the other bugs and then they eat each other when they get done. So and, and the good thing with them is that uh, we know when when you keep them as a Ready, they just scroll up so you can make a system where basically they fall by themselves in a bucket and you don't have to to to, to look for them they are automatically all where they need to and then use them to your chooks you can give them to your fish so uh yeah i think it's just fantastic this, this insect is super interesting probably a lot of other insects that we're going to discover in the future that are that are able to be harvested easily i mean grown and harvested very easily as well but the flies are pretty big and gross too, though, aren't they? Though those big blue things, right? <laughs> dark. They are pretty, dark, right? Yeah, I think I think I think it has. Doesn't it have the? It's about. It's big. It's about that big, and it has like a blue. Yes. End of its butt is blue or whatever. It's great. And it's a yucky. It's the kind of fly if it gets in the house, it's like, man, get the hell out of here. It's huge, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <right>? yeah. <laughs> I think that's garage or anything like that, that's for sure. Yeah, you don't want them in the garage. <laughs> or you do keep them in the garage, yeah. So you said that you, you got you can't keep them alive in winter. So what because people I think they don't I don't think when they think of Australia, they think of winter. So what kind of winter do you have there? Yeah, exactly. So when we talk about Australia, people are thinking it's a tropical country, but uh, uh, really big, and there is the huge stuff in the south. So here uh, in winter, we can have uh, maybe the extreme is minus five or something. It's not it's not super super cold, but still, uh, the, the, some insects will not survive in those temperatures, uh, especially the black soldier needs. Uh, if I remember what. Well, it needs to be above 20 degrees to, to live. So, um, yeah, you would kill your, you would 
kill the, the whole uh, population. Now you're talking about centigrade, right? Uh, yeah, I talk about Celsius, sorry, Celsius. Celsius, I'm sorry, Celsius, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, because you said minus five. I was trying to compute that, and it could go either way. You know, minus five is pretty cold. Celsius. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cold. <laughs> but you know, where, where I come from in uh, where I come from in France, uh, the, the the worst we had. Uh, it's been now a few years ago, but it too. So minus five is nothing to me. You know what I mean? It's okay. Uh, oh it's, yeah, because you're in the mountains near Switzerland. Okay, yeah, you were. In, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that yeah, could get, yeah, that's like Alaska here or, you know, Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or even, a, exactly. well, in the mountains, it's like in the mountains. I mean, because if you're in Wyoming in the mountains up there, it's pretty, you get, it'll get that cold too. Maine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. Because I, I never thought of that. And you said that and that. So you get a, yeah, because you said you're really low. So you're closer to the Antarctica. And that Go means you'd be like very, no, if you were, if it was flipped, you'd be extremely north. You know, where you we consider you extremely south. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you are extremely south, South Pole. So I guess I that's know, north. We, yeah. we are we are extremely south, but um, and south is uh, it means cold. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, here of the wind. So sometimes we got the wind from the south. So it's coming from uh, the Antarctica. If I if I'm saying red, because sometimes uh, I'm I'm either, I switch Antarctica with, but I think it's. So we okay. from, the, from the ice, and yeah. sometimes we got the north wind that is coming from the uh, from the from uh, from the desert. It's super hot. So from one day to another, right. you can have twenty degrees difference. Right. Yeah, I was th thinking that too. When you said north winds, that's like our so southerly winds. Yeah. Had to be warm and tropic. North winds are from the tropics, or you know the. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Equatorial. Yeah. Nothing yeah, very, uh, very hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, shoot. Right. I had to step out for a minute, so you might have already answered this, but have you ever um, considered using beneficial insects for predators? I know you said you didn't spray anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought, of, especially when uh, I got some problems with some aphids or things like this, you know, you are thinking of in, uh, of introducing some caterpillar larvae or. Um, but again, he have a population of insects, but uh, they come they come by themselves soon or late. It's just for you know, even if I because because I don't have a commercial crop, I don't really mind if I lose a bit. I, ju I just prefer to just lay back and uh, uh, leave population. Well, uh, since you, uh, you can go ahead. Sorry? I'm sorry. Saying, yeah, I'm always a bit scared when you add uh, some insects that are not uh, um, original from the, or that are not local, if you want, uh, that to, to uh, the native population. You never know the impact it can have. So obviously, if I had a farm and if I had to to uh, to to regulate a population of of feeds or caterpillars or whatever, I would obviously uh, buy some uh, biological. Uh, uh, have insects basically buy buy some online and spread them on the farm, but because uh, because I don't have this uh, this commercial uh, 
uh, because it's only few a uh, few plants here and there that I'm going to lose. Uh, I never do it, and I don't really recommend people to do it. My customer, I never recommend really to do it. As as I just said, you know, we never know when we know where, we we see the short benefits, but we never know what it's going to do in the long term. We're not saying that it's wrong, but uh, yeah, that's my way of seeing things. What is your way of seeing it? Um, well, I, I, I use them a lot, especially indoors. Um, and mostly because, um, you know, outdoors, you can, you can do a lot of things to just sort of foster the environment to help overcome and, you know, have an environment that includes the predator bugs that occur naturally um, around and can keep everything in balance. Um, but indoors, uh, you know, is kind of a different story. If it, if anybody's growing indoors, then <clears throat> you know, I'm definitely uh, a big proponent of using them indoors, and uh, and I'm a proponent of releasing ones that are native, like around here, pirate bugs, um, you know, exist in the natural environment all the time, and you can get the same species from the local store here, so that you can just increase the population in in your area. Um, so the uh, same thing with praying mantis, I think, is another great option. Um, so I think that uh, there are some that you can do, but I, I definitely hear what you're saying about, you know, introducing a different insect to the environment and what, you know, what kind of precaution you have to take there. But uh, indoors, I feel like you can control it pretty well. And, uh, and it's probably more needed um, because you deal with uh you know, no, no larger environment to contain the larger or to allow the larger predators to reproduce. Um, and it's easier for those, you know, aphids and thrips and not, you know, spider mites and all those different things to work their way in um, and, and cause an infestation. So that, that would be the time that I, that I definitely recommend it. Um, it a, a number of even, uh, you know, predator mites, um, for spider mites, you can get pretty specific with those, and uh, I don't, I don't feel like they're gonna spread um, uh, out outside of a indoor grill. Yeah, yeah, you make a you make a really good point here, Marty. Um, when you are indoor, I think you don't have any real other option than to introduce them. Otherwise, you can hope that that some predators, are, yeah, you have very low chances. So yeah, indoor, it's definitely the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thanks, man. So, what are uh, is there any um, what is the I guess single most topic that you uh, feel like isn't covered enough in aquaponics that maybe you plan on covering on your channel or or subject or uh, is there anything that you think is kind of a gap aside from the microbes that you talked about earlier that you you hope to cover on your channel? So, yeah, I think um, we, we talked about the, yeah, the microbes, but not only the microbes, you know, the whole, the whole biodiversity. And then uh, we talked about, the, for me, a big, big problem. Uh, the feed is a resource that we need to, we, we need to do something about it. But then there is another resource that is very important, most aquaponics. Setup the um, the electricity the power for for example to run the the water pump uh, uh, but the example for area like like where I am in Melbourne is uh, also to try to if possible in the future to regulate uh, the water temperature 
uh, uh, the, the temperature of the air for the crop, for the veggies, for the plants. So if we work in a greenhouse, there are some, uh, some things that we can do. For example, you know, it's a very interesting way of trying temperature in an eco-friendly way. Um, also, uh, climate that's something we really need to dig uh, into those topics a bit, a bit more. Um, so also solar panels, solar systems. Is it eco-friendly really? Because everyone is talking about it, but what is the reality? What is the impact on the environment? What do we need really in terms of resource? Uh, one solar panel and then what is uh, the impact of recycling the thing once it's, uh, once it's out of action? Uh, so those type of uh, the, uh, once we got the good technology and we can have um, some energy that is available and uh, clean, real green energy, uh, I think it's going to boost definitely the, the, the potential of aquaponics because this is where we are limited at the moment. As soon as you going to have a set up and it's going to be super efficient. It's going to produce probably more than a classic garden. And on top of this, you can put water pump 24-7. Uh, some people are just looking at you and just thinking, this guy is crazy. He's going to use some electricity 24-7, you know, to, to let some plant grow while you can have them growing by themselves in the garden. So uh, for me, that's a very... Uh, uh, so that's where I think we can, uh, I mean, techni technically it's going to improve in the next years for sure because uh, there, there is so much res research done uh, to find good. good uh, uh, but yeah, that's really the point where I think we, we, we have some. That's my way of seeing it. What uh, I'm very curious to see what is your point of view, what uh, what are consuming at the moment, and uh, and how how do you see it? Obviously, if you are growing uh, um, some cannabis or the type of very very hot, um, very last of the resources, maybe not so important for you. But if you are growing in land tomatoes, um, then there is uh, this ratio that you need to keep in mind is the, is the costs of the, uh, the cost of the year. You, know, you need to be aware of the electricity you are consuming. And that's something I think we, we, don't, we don't talk about enough. When I see all those people who are food with a, a huge pump not required just to basically oxygenate uh, the water, you know, they, they just use uh, the water to, to oxygenate the water while they could do it with a little water pump, uh, with a little air pump, sorry. Um, I think we have a lot of improvement to do here and a lot of, um, yeah, sorry, I, I'm talking, I'm talking alone here. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's really what I see, you know, all those things that I think that in mind that we consume, we consume some resources and we have to minimize it. That's my point of view. Yeah, that's good. That's a good idea. I mean, that's basically what everybody's trying to do. I think part of what you're going by is so many more people are starting to grow their own food uh, now. So many more people that are, it's the, the amount of people growing food is going way beyond farms 
now and people are are, are more they're so worried about where their food comes from that um, that people are starting to catch on but still we're way behind the curve because the average age of a farmer in the United States is 60 years old my age you know and and we're just now getting this generation of kids are starting to we're getting them back into they're not going to be doing conventional farming they're going to be doing hydroponics or aquaponics you know or even organic a lot of there's a lot a big movement of about you know it's ever growing the organic movement in this country so i think that's where things are going like that but i that's a lot to do with why there's so much source out there for good information now that you can actually learn the you know you can learn the secrets of the best farmers in the in the world now because it's all online you know it's just about how we handle it now that we've got the the floor you know yeah, it's really helped aquaponics. It's really, you know, the the, the whole <laughs> it's a great thing that that happened simultaneously or, or or a little bit thereafter. You know what I mean? Because aquaponics is not very old, and it's and now we have <laughs> we have guys like Jonathan. <laughs> we can <laughs> watch his videos on YouTube and learn all kinds. Speaking of shit. Of which, I'll, I'll quickly plug uh, Dr. Rakosi is coming to do a class here at Orboros Farms on November third and fourth. If you're looking to learn from one of the gentlemen that helped spawn this whole industry, um, you could do a hell of a lot worse than coming to uh, Orboros Farms. It's a beautiful farm, one of the largest commercial farms in the United States, and a great place to come learn and educate yourself with Dr. Rakosi at Ken Armstrong's beautiful farms. And there's a link to that in the description as well. And uh, I know uh, Josh has got some stuff to bring up here a little bit later in the episode here. And, uh, do you teach any classes at Melbourne Aquaponics? Sorry. Do you uh, do you do any classes out there in Australia? Uh, yes, we we run some classes um, once a month, and then I got uh, uh, an online uh, I got an online system where people can just follow online trainings. So yeah, when more topic, which is uh, at the beginning, we had people who wanted to basically just, uh, yeah, just matter of interest, you know, know exactly the aquaponics and what type of things can we grow. But now we got really some people who are on board and really start to grow their own food. So as as you were just saying just before, Roger, um, we we have a, a significant part of the population that is really concerned about the type of food they are eating. Right. So uh, now they are starting really to. To, uh, to take care of the problem and to start to grow a bit at home. And what is very interesting as well is to see the quantity of uh, vitamins uh, that people are eating nowadays, consuming, let's say. Not really eating, but consuming. Um, you see it's, it's increasing and now it's, uh, it's billions and billions of dollars every year. Uh, and, and those type of things before people didn't really need, you know, they, they had it into the food. But nowadays, uh, the, the quantity of nutrients that is available in the food we buy in the supermarket is completely decreasing and people really need to take vitamins aside. And uh, some people are really wondering, why do I have to take pills to, to remain in good health? You know, it's, it's not something that we are meant to be. It's very, very awkward, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a living creatures to have to take pills to, to stay in good, uh, good health. So a uh, lot of people are wondering why, why is, is the food we are, we are buying from the supermarket good? And if not, where can I 
how can I do? What is the alternative? And aquaponics becomes uh, a very interesting alternative, I think. I think the vitamins were actually sold as a thing to where you if you don't eat right, you take your vitamins, you'll be okay, which is not necessarily true because as we've discussed on the show before, many of the vitamins out there, even the, that are supposedly their one-a-day vitamin, don't have the correct amount of mineral, uh, the correct percentage of each mineral in it. It's just like you get a thousand percent. Of, well, you don't need a thousand percent of the daily requirement of a mineral. You only need a hundred percent of the requirement of a mineral. You know, so when they go, you, oh, it's got a thousand percent. Well, uh, yeah, okay, but that's that's not the right. That's not healthy. After you build you gotta all, take, all, you got to take that into consideration when you're making your KNF inputs. What what's that piss coming out at? You got to test that shit. <laughs> I, the other que question I had um, kind of on topic was, Steve, and Steve, you might answer this too, whoever has an answer. Uh, does anyone have any data on nutrient levels in aquaponic veggies versus uh, soil grown or conventional? I do. I have shit tons. I don't know. Um, I don't know. How much better is it? Spit it. So, okay. So, like, you generally run about eight times the level in your soil as you do in aquaponics, give or take the nutrient. Uh, that's highly variable, but it's significantly higher in soil. Is it because of the mineralization and all the rock? Yeah, because in a liquid solution, you can deliver it a lot better. And then in a hydroponic solution, you can deliver it a little bit better than soil. You can run lower PPMs and hydro than soil in terms of like total PPMs if you look at the whole soil structure. Well, and then you can run even lower in aquaponics because you have a hell of a, or even organic hydroponics. Both, you know, they're very similar um, because you're relying on microbial action much more heavily than the, the chemical inputs necessarily. Um, and, and that's, you end up being run uh, for some nutrients, like um, we're running about half the level of potassium, you know, about half the level of phosphorus. Like there's quite a few things that are running significantly lower because the fish, the fish waste is providing, you know, 70 to 80% of the base, depending on crop. The lettuce can be a little bit higher, but leafy greens can be a little bit higher, but fruiting crops. And that's being very vague. You know, uh, I have a bunch of stuff I'm, I'm working on in this book. I'm trying to get out by the end of the year or beginning of next year. And I apologize. My voice is a little bit fucked <laughs> up this week, so. Isn't some well, of it have to do with the fact that all the minerals in the soil are not always available to the plant either? Well, so they're in different forms. So, like, for example, um, uh, let's just use – hold on a second. Let me pull something up here. What I was just thinking of is, is just a, look, uh, a vitamin to energy input ratio, you know, would be an interesting way to, like, present it to the public. Like, you buy this bottle of, you know, vitamins, and it takes this much energy to produce it on average – well, I think a lot of it just had to do with working out the chemistry. And this is some of the stuff that's going to be in my book on like real accurate dosing for aquaponic systems, one to 10,000 gallons is that, um, well, that's not the name of the book, but that's part of the dosing stuff is that you're going to be able to understand how that converts because I have a lot of testing from when I worked at the aquaponics source when we dose stuff and then how much that translated into, you know, a week later what the water looked like, you know, and that kind of shit because the microbial interaction in a uh, aquaponic system is different than a hydroponic system. Stuff, some stuff oxidizes faster, for instance, because of the increased microbial interaction. So, or, you know, phosphorus, you know, you, ideally the plants want P2O5, which is two phosphorus and five oxygen. So what is the conversion rate for 
you know, XYZ um, uh, rock phosphate to uh, from P to P205. Um, you see what I'm saying? So it, it gets very, uh, that, that, and or that's just using phosphorus, you know, uh, potassium would be uh, K, um, potassium to oxygen. So, uh, you know, KO, uh, K2O. So uh, that's another example of, of, of how that would convert or silica. Silica is, you know, um, silica two oxide is the better one the plants like. So that's the one, you know, th this is why you, it, it matters what form or if you look at, um, let's take a great example of uh, UV sterilizers. You put a UV sterilizer in an aquaponics system. That aquaponics system is then now going to lose the chelation on its boron, its zinc, and its iron. And now it's going to drop those out and there's still iron, zinc, and boron present in the same PPM levels, but the bioavailability because of the change in the chelation is what changes. And that's the reason why things like oxidizers and UV sterilizers shouldn't be used in line and aquaponic systems, but they can be used in say a hospital system or a quarantine system where I could not recommend them more and, and would happily tell everybody to buy one for those systems, but do not use them you know, on your, um, uh, main inline systems because it will screw with your nutrients in the system. Just as an example. Yeah, I think uh, the nutrients the nutrients are very available in uh, in aquaponics. Even I understand what you say, potent, um, and you you probably don't have the, the same input of. Uh, of nutrient and especially of minerals, right? Because we are in this closed environment, so you are not working with the with the deep rocks, and you don't have the fungus um, uh, network that is going to raise and uh, make all those nutrients available for the plants. But uh, what is very interesting in uh, in aquaponics is that uh, we are we are into this uh, liquid uh, environment, liquid mix where all the nutrients are becoming available to the plants. So if they are present at the very beginning then uh, they're going to become available. The problem, I mean, from my, perspective, from my perspective, I think we always feed our fish with the same type of food, and therefore we have a very specific profile in terms of nutrients. So obviously we got phosphorus because phosphorus um, is, is uh, present in the bones of the fish that are used to make the fish meal. So there is uh, generally, not always, but generally there is a high quantity of phosphorus in the fish food that... We, we give to our, fi our fish. We got a lot of nitrogen uh, that is coming from the protein because uh, obviously it's the base of uh, the molecule of the protein. Uh, so those two ones are very much covered in aquaponics. And then when we talk about minerals, I think we really need to add them uh, physically. If you don't add minerals physically to the setup, obviously uh, it's going to be very low in terms of nutrients. So then when you look at some studies and people are saying, oh, no, we did a study and we found that the quantity of nutrients was very low in aquaponics. I think it really depends on the setup you take uh, as a base for your study. If you take, some, if you take a, a setup that has been run for a year with only fish food as an input and maybe some chelated iron, uh, you're going to find that uh, you're going to have some nutrients that are going to be quite high and some others that are going to be extremely low uh, just because you didn't have this, uh, this input of nutrients. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, um, I think if you add some, what I do, I add some rock dust as well. Uh, so just before we were talking about the things we add in the setup, um, I add uh, some uh, seashell, eggshell, and um, 
what's uh, what's the name uh, the the cuttlefish bone or the squid bone but then i had some rock dust rock dust or a mix of minerals the problem when you do that is you never know exactly what you are adding and that's i come from to the point i was trying to make before with uh, the difference between aquaponics and hydroponics in hydroponics we know exactly the type of element we are adding and we add what we think we think as human with our very limited knowledge what we think the plant needs to grow while in aquaponics we just create some really nice conditions and we add some basic elements so basic elements i'm talking here about the rock dusts uh, and those type of thing and then uh, the ecosystem is going to do whatever it has to do with the mix so i think if you add those mini those elements in good quantities uh, then naturally you got you're going to have an ecosystem that is going to be there to make it available for the plants obviously i'm not i'm not the, the best scientist i'm not going to say that uh, when you add some rock dust it covers all the needs of the plants because it's not true because we know that uh, if you have a leak of potassium then if you have too much calcium then the potassium doesn't become available anymore or other types of minerals you know it's always related you you can cover the needs of one one type of minerals but then when you add another one then this one becomes oxidized and it becomes less available or you have a molecule that is going to be formed between two minerals and this thing is just a nightmare and my point of view is that we can't manage this like we don't have the knowledge as much as you you, you try the more you try to manage those micro elements and the more mistake you're going to create because uh, each time you have another thing that you didn't think of that is going to happen so my idea is to leave if you look at the forest everything is going well the things that are not going well are the things that uh, are not adapted to this ecosystem and that's what i do uh, when i manage an aquaponic setup i add a, a bunch of minerals a bunch of rock dust and then I, I put a lot of different plants and for some reason some of them are not going to grow well some of them are going to grow really well and with time when the biodiversity is going to increase, my my uh, opinion, my theory is that the more biodiversity you have, and the more uh, trans, the better the, the elements, the micronutrients are going to be transformed and be available for the plants. So if you keep uh, filling your system with a good base of uh, of minerals, then they become available for the plants, and the plants that are adapted to the ecosystem are going to grow well. Just my point of view. But I think it's very hard to tell exactly, to talk about nutrients from a scientific point of view uh, because we don't have much data. I like it. Did these, I came in a little late, so I might be redundant in asking this. Did these guys already hit you up about the dual road zone system and talk about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. We had a chat about it, but I don't know. I don't know this term, so I, I can't comment. Well, uh, it was just we, we worked. Yeah. You you talked to you obviously tapped on like the lack of the fungi connection the mycorrhizae connection, um, but you know yeah. without without uh, soil base and so you know the answer it you know is the dual root zone system and then you get both and so I just was wondering if you had any experience with that at all. No, yeah, uh, I, I got that earlier and and yeah he does conventional aquaponics. Yeah, he's just doing media beds at the moment. Do you and then the, the, Steve? Do you ever do you add rock dust at all when you're in your systems? So rock dust is interesting. This is a great question because a lot of people ask about rock dust. Um, actually, like know the daughter of the as as my fucking thing. I actually dated her for a little bit in Colorado. Anyways, long story. But um, so the problem with a lot of these rock dusts is that there's an issue with 
um, heavy metals. A lot of these rock dusts are actually mining byproducts. And you need to really look at the full mineral analysis on these rock dusts because if they aren't good, um, you could end up just building up mercury or lead or some other wacky, or, you know, uh, who the fuck knows what. I actually had two customers in Australia ask me about um, bore water and what their level of uranium was allowed in the water and, and uh, radon in the water. And just like, no, like zero. Like, you don't want that in your plants. Um, so, so this is like some of the weirder stuff that you do run into and you have to be very careful. But I would highly suggest if you are going to use rock dust, put it in some labs. Labs are very acidic and tend to unlock a lot of the stuff in the rock dust. And so putting them in your longer term, you know, uh, ferments or compost teas, you're going to really accelerate the bioavailability of the uh, minerals in those um, solutions. But you're still going to miss that fungal, fungal conversion part, you know? Oh yeah. But uh, with, without the dual root zone, without having that soil. Oh yeah. And it's, it helps a lot with bushier plants or the woodier plants, but in particular, fruit trees almost require it. Uh, a lot of trees require mycorrhizae. Uh, certain medicinal herbs also require mycorrhizae to grow, and they need that soil layer regardless. So yeah, you have to have a minimum amount of this, the root zone covered with that, or they will not grow. At least, And when I'm talking about grow, I'm talking about trying to compete with hydroponic production. I'm not talking about just making the thing grow or grow a couple of fruit. I'm talking about something where I could like set up a business around this, not some piddlywinks thing. Cause a lot of people think that you can grow anything in a raft bed, for example, but you sure as hell aren't going to compete with the production of a dual root zone or even a media bed for certain crops just because of how the nutrients work. So. So there you go. Cool. <laughs> Do you have any uh, questions for us American growers? Jonathan, I think he's addressing you. Oh, any, um, any questions for no, the no, I think, other things? Uh, no, I don't have any uh, any specific question. Thank you so much for your time and for all you uh, for the exchanges. And I'm going to check uh, all those things that uh, you talked about. Other thing I never heard about before. I'm going to have a, a check at this and see if I can uh, add some things uh, to my setup. I highly suggest um, checking out uh, Korean Natural Farming, the Chris Trump episode, and the last week's episode with uh, Eric Weinart. Um, he was it was really both of those episodes are great for learning more about Korean natural farming, and it works really good for hybridizing and maximizing mineralization with aquaponics. And I'd love to see that uh, infect Australia for sure. Okay, with pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell people how to find you? And uh, if they want to listen to your channel, uh, uh, tell them how they can find out more about what you do. Thank you. So so what's your YouTube channel? And, and how do people so, find you? Uh, the, yeah, so the, the YouTube channel is uh, Melbourne Aquaponics. And uh, then we got a website, which is uh, melbourneaquaponics.com.au, where... Um, yeah, where you can have the blog. So for each video that we um, we publish, we also have an article where we go uh, a bit more in depth with the topic. And uh, and then the website, you can download a, a free guide for people who want to begin in aquaponics. We don't have a, uh, how it works. So here you can get a free training where you get a, 
the principle of aquaponics, but also the different limits to respect setup. So some very, very uh, uh, interested guideline to start aquaponics and to maintain it in the best conditions. And uh, after that, if you're going to go some uh, specific training, so as I was saying before, we got we run one training per month uh, physically here on site where we go through the, uh, through the setups, we manage the setup and we build the setup together. And uh, the, the online training where you can go uh, a bit deeper even in each of the, of the topics developed. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks for all the content you put out. Thank you. Thank you so much, all, all of you. Uh, thank you for all your, for your time and for all those, uh, for those, uh, for the input and, uh, and for those things that I'm going to check. Bye-bye, <laughs> yeah, guys. Great interview. For those listening in the audio format, if you check the description of this podcast, you will find the link to the, the links he just mentioned. Thank you again for joining us. Thank Have you. a good night, man. Bye. And by, by the way, your logo looks really cool. I like it. Uh, thanks yeah. a lot, Dutch. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Have a good one, man. Cheers. Have a nice bye bye. What's up, Josh? What's new with you, buddy? I, uh, I know you got some cool stuff going on. Yeah, I dropped all the conference stuff today um, or yesterday. Um, so that's what I've been doing is trying to do computer stuff, which. It's pretty funny for me because I don't really even have a computer. I have an iPhone. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I've been like trying to get this website stuff. And so I am also answering a lot of questions because I have incomplete information. Get at this excuse, excuse. But uh, yeah, we've been rallying and getting uh, the conferences going. And so uh, the website is live, uh, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Uh, and uh, you can get information there. Uh, and we have a little flyer that kind of lists all the speakers. And um, and you can buy tickets. It, it goes to um, a company, Eventbrite, which I do not think too highly of Eventbrite, by the way. Uh, we, went on, we were on a little war today. And I, I, I've won for now, knock on wood. Chain Corporation. Yeah, they don't like cannabis whatsoever. But... I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how to do this computer stuff. And there's there's ways to, to, to do tickets another way, but I don't know how to do it. So um, I just basically uh, made a new account and have, had made it sound like it had nothing to do with cannabis. And uh, might be able to help it's, just, it's just for buying tickets, just that, that little portion anyway. So fuck those guys. Might be able to help you out with that. We'll talk about that later on. Okay, yeah, I know it's pathetic. I should know how to do this stuff, but well, there's um, places, and I got a computer, so we'll we'll get together on the phone and and figure something out. Right on, but yeah, man. So that's what's been going on. Is uh, been getting all these conferences, conferences going. There's four of them now. Um, we're going to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, in uh, January, um, 11th, 12th, 13th, and that's um, uh, pretty cool pretty cool to be going up there i gotta say um just that just the concept yeah, of a being international even though it's actually only you know i live five minutes away from the borders and uh so you know vancouver is actually closer to me than seattle is but um it still feels pretty cool to just to go up there and, and do that and and uh, Josh and Kelly from Dragonfly Earth Medicine are going to be there and rallying major. You know, they live up in Canada and um, not too far from there, I don't think. But um, 
yeah, we're going to have the whole team. Uh, uh, Suzanne Wainwright's going to be there. Um, Layton obviously will be there from Kingdom Aquaponics. Chip Osborne, Osborne Organics. He uh, talks about soil chemistry. Um, uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham is going to join us for all the conferences, which is pretty exciting. Um, she is fully on board, and we're stoked to have her be a part of it. Um, also, a new addition um, is Kevin Jodry of Wonderland uh, Nursery down in uh, Southern Humboldt. <clears throat> He's a uh, man. We got we we got to get him on the show sometime. He is a wealth of information when it comes to growing and uh, genetics. It's like Every time I've heard that guy speak, I'm just like, I'm blown away by how much, how, you know, how much he knows and how the history he has with the plant. And um, it's pretty unique and pretty impressive and, and, and touching. So super stoked to have him on board. Um, Dr. Faust is going to be on board. We have had him on the show, BioAg. So he's, he's really jammed up and jammed, excited and jacked up and, um, I don't know if he's really released it yet, but he's got some really exciting things going on in his world um, that, that will be released by the time we start these conferences. So I'm sure I'm missing a couple other people. Oh, yeah, we got. Uh, I was talking to, to Dr. Faust the other day. He's got some cool shit. I was like, man, let me know. We could talk about that shit on the show because that sounds funny. Yeah, I almost just said it, but I, you know, he yeah, would appreciate that. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. So the exciting uh, Craig um, Johnson from Alpenglow Farms in Southern Humboldt uh, is going to join us for the whole thing. He spoke um, in uh, in Humboldt and led the, the Dempure Farmers uh, panel. And we met him in Portland. He actually came up and he was a part of the panel, the, the Dempure Farm, Farmers panel up there. And man, he's just uh, he's a legit dude. And so we're actually trying to get him on the show um, in the next couple of weeks um, to hear what he's done. He's 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 been growing weed for a long time and he's done it all sorts of ways. And I, I you know, I'll let him tell his story. But rumor has it he went from the dark side to the to the white side um, in terms of going from chemical fer fertilizer grows to uh, totally organic, regenerative. Is that is that the guy that talked before me, or is that somebody else? He didn't talk. He's he didn't talk. Well, he did the he did the Friday night Dempure uh, oh, okay. farmers panel, um, and we did a. I don't, I'm not sure if you made it with us. We did a little tour of his farm. Uh, no, yeah, I, I missed that one. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's he's a cool dude, and and it'll be fun to hear all of what he's got going on. I don't know all of what he's got going on, but. So he's going to be a part of all the conferences. Um, Wendy Kornberg, she was she was a part of Humboldt and she helped organize. She's going to be a part of everything, and uh, you can see her at Sunabis um, Farms. She's um, lives right in that area as well. Um, I'm just like shooting off the top of my head. I'm not looking at a list, so I'm sure I'm missing somebody. But yeah, we're also going to be in, um, do another one in Redway, and that is going to be February 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and then March 1st, 2nd, 3rd is in Portland, Maine, uh, another exciting place. Um, these are all places that I haven't been, um, other than Humboldt, so that's pretty exciting. Oh, you were in Portland? I, no, well, no, Portland, Maine. Oh, Portland, Maine. 
Portland, that's, Maine. That's a question now that you brought that up. Now you're shifted over to Portland, Maine. Um, I've been wanting to know, have you just, have you guys decided which speakers are going to be at which show at this point? Because yeah. we know that speakers aren't everywhere. So well, who's mm. going to be in Michigan Most, and who's going to be in Maine? Because that's right. what I got a chance to go to. So we're, so there's so there's Portland, Maine is the first, second, and third of March, and then March twenty second, twenty third, twenty fourth is uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Right. And um, as far as speakers, I'm gonna post a schedule soon. I gotta I gotta exactly figure it out. Um, it, it's it's not that easy to orchestrate a schedule to be honest so the answer is um, no you have not yet figured out who's going to be yes and no yeah so I, so <laughs> yes and, and no. let me i'm trying to get there in a in a I don't mess with you, Josh. I'm <laughs> look at this you see this thing i've been smoking you guys this is like five gram uh doobie with uh like one and a half grams of bubble hash in it 120 uh yeah look at i'm oh, getting down there but uh it's got me going and then i was also drinking uh, a kombucha that i've been making uh cannabis cannabis infused kombucha um, i'm yeah you're ready i'm ready <laughs> so um what was the question the question was i well we, we were on i wanted to know who what speaker oh, who was who was not going to make it so dragonfly earth medicine is only going to be able to make it to vancouver and Michigan, I may have that wrong. Um, they're going to so they try to make Michigan. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely going to be in Michigan. They're definitely going to be in Vancouver, and I think there's hope to try to do Maine, but uh, we haven't nailed, nailed that down because they're traveling internationally um, for a few months, and so they're actually leaving right after the Vancouver one, and, and we just kind of squeeze that in and to to do that with them. So uh, Craig will be representing. Um, the Dempier Farmers for the other two events. And so other than that, everybody else is uh, slated to be to all events. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's no, it's we're not like kind of shuffling people around. And, you know, Elaine's going to be at all of the events. Um, Craig's going to be, I'm just thinking, yeah, Chris oh, is going to be at all the events. Oh, uh, yeah, Steve's going to be at all the events. Uh, Chip is like going to be at all the events. Hell yeah! Okay. No, we're throwing we're throwing a big thing, and and uh, some of the stuff we haven't put out yet uh, that I want to do is, um, well, one, this is a super expensive deal for for us, um, and we're taking it on in faith. Um, no one's really making any money on it. Um, we're trying. We, the speakers, everyone's getting paid a little bit, you know, but it's not like, you know, no one's getting. Yeah, we're just kind of yeah, paying everybody a little bit to you know, paying for their time, paying for them to come. Um, so it's expensive. And so we're going to try to do some seed auctions. And I just, if anybody out there is interested in being a part, um, especially if you're a breeder of regenerative uh, organic seeds, um, we're going to do some auctions and try to raise some money that way. And then also during the event, we're each event at, a, a, we're going to do um, a seed swap and have breeders panel. So breeders will be there. Um, we haven't announced who will be where, but we'll have some breed, some very well-known breeders at each of the events, um, and they'll bring seeds to swap, sell, do the thing with. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. And then we're doing a raffle um, as well. So I've posted raffle tickets for $25, um, and at each event, we're going to, you know, I'll have like four or five raffle packages. 
to, to be raffled off and they'll be very nice packages mostly of seeds um dragonfly earth medicine said they'd uh donate a full round of their whole um i won't say nutrient line that that's kind of a, a poor way to say it but their their uh, product yeah their products which is kind of a nutrient line but it's it's uh you know i think they talked about it when they were on the show and i don't yeah, i'll probably mess it up it's basically concoctions and ferments um with herbs that they 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 jar up and then you you know then you dilute it and apply uh, foliarly yeah concentrates so anyways they're, they're going to donate that and and i'm going to figure out a bunch of cool stuff but it'll definitely be very cool packages um in the thousands of dollars worth of value depending on how you, how you look at it what's you that got so many authors on the show what how about books yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good idea. I mean, I'm just kind of ra- rallying it all together. So, um, what else can I remember that we're doing? I don't know, Steve. You got any anything that I'm missing? Who's do Who's going to represent? You say uh, you're going to PNF representation? Uh, Chris Chris Trump's going to be there uh, for Chris sure Trump. at all the other events. Yep, at all the events, and um, that's pretty exciting. I'm. A, I'm excited because now that I know more about KNF, I, uh, it, it, he can, I think that he'll be able to speak to the cannabis community a little bit more uh, pointed and um, because we already know nutrient cycling. And, and once the, he knows that we understand nutrient cycling and he can present the whole thing in a, in a real quick, concise way um that people will get get it and so yeah i'm excited about that and uh i just talked to another another gentleman uh jeff merriman who's also a 502 uh, washington cannabis grower knf cannabis grower um he's gonna try to make it to a couple of the events so um, he'll be there to kind of represent and he's um He's 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 up there in the in the KNF world. He's definitely been to Korea, and I don't I don't know how how all the breakdowns work, but he's certified to teach uh, level one and two, and um, so and he's done a lot of cool stuff with cannabis. And it'd be fun to have him on the show as well, actually, because uh, he the stuff he's he was doing is really interesting. I'll, real quickly, I'll I, I'll share. I don't know if I have before, but he does an FPJ, which is fermented plant juice extract. And, and that means that you take a, you harvest a plant early in the morning before dawn when it's got dew still on it and the high, is at the highest microbial level. Um, you harvest that plant and then you bring it into your, your kitchen. You chop it up, you know, into pieces that are kind of smaller than half your thumb. And um, you then mix it half or by twice or exactly half by, by excuse me, I'm stoned. You mix it one to one with sugar. Like, you know, raw sugar and by, weight? That, by weight, by weight, by weight, and let it, then let it ferment for a week. So he does an FPJ long way to say he does an FPJ with cannabis flowers. And when you, you know, let it ferment for a week and then you strain out the liquid, which is like a sugary, thick fermented liquid yeah. full of all those microbes. Um, it doesn't have any, it doesn't contain any psychoactive THC um when it's tested but it uh he'll have he can explain it better he, you know this is him explaining it to me you know smoking a joint in the in the parking lot type deal but um it doesn't have any thc in it when it's uh tested but when it's ingested it uh converts in your liver because of the because of the the alcohol fermentation 
and it's psychoactive at that point. So you could literally legally, um, well, for instance, I could, because my laws say that when I, when I go to waste a plant, I have to mix it 50% by volume with another material and let it sit for three days and then I can remove it from the system. So I could, that, <laughs> I technically could do that and I they could then put it on the, on the shelf in a grocery store because it doesn't test for any THC <laughs> in it. And it would be psychoactive only when it converts in your, in your liver. So uh, th- this guy's doing interesting shit is what I was trying to say. That's like Tommy J shit there now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and there's probably a lot of science to it and I may have got it off a little bit, but that's, yeah, cool, cool stuff. So he'll be around a little bit, just uh, kind of kicking it. I don't think he's not going to speak, but um, he's just going to be kicking it. We're going to do some breeders panels. Um, I'm really excited about that stuff, and I'm really amping up like the genetic portion of it, and really excited to have Kevin Jodry be a part because that's kind of these chunks, and the genetic chunk is a huge chunk that we kind of haven't, you know. I don't know how much you guys have talked about it on the show, but it's typically not talked about too much. People are insecure about it. And and in general, most people are breeding F1s and, um, you know, I don't know. I think our our genetic game in general is pretty weak. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what you have to say about that, Mr. Uh, Cherry Bomb. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I, I I think it's a great time to breed cannabis. I mean, you know, I I don't know. Totally. I, I think everybody. I don't. I don't. I think people are being apologetic and saying, you know, oh, I don't. You know, I'm only doing it. I'll only do it for personal. You know, I would never charge any money or anything like that. And I'm like, no, man. It's actually actually all right and you should you know maybe not charge a lot but charge something because for one thing when you charge people money they plant they plant the seeds you know what i mean if you don't charge if you don't if you don't charge them something they they're when you gift people seeds usually they don't get in the ground uh, that quickly or they don't get in the ground ahead of some ones that they might have been you know paid money for or something like that so i tell people even if it's their first time you know, crossing things, doing something, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I th- I think you really should test the seeds. I think ethically, you know, the whole thing about breeding is, is your word and the truth and everything like that. And I think ethically, at least you should test the seeds and see, but these days you're probably going to do. I didn't mean to knock on F1s. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I understand, but I'm just saying that, you know, I, I think that, it's like, and, and also everybody, especially people who are, you know, growing uh, in their local area and stuff, it's time to start. I think there's a lot of wonderful things in genetics too. And, and there's also, now we have a lot of available land races, cool, you know, sativas from all over the world that, you know, I mean, you have to wade through some truth and bullshit to be able to source these kind of things maybe, but still there's a lot of genetic diversity in cannabis and i can create genetic diversity in right in my own fucking garden dude yeah uh, you know that, it's, how was the consistency on that blue hash because i gave you a couple of different blue hash seeds and those were all f1s so I'm, I'm definitely curious they were they were a little variable the the three females there was only four you know he actually i think he gave me six and i think i lost two i think one damped off and 
one I might have mishandled or something like that, or maybe the two didn't germinate or something. I think I remember screwing up one seedling by my stupid rough handling, which was really dumb. I don't usually do that. And then another one I think did damp off or something like that. And they, maybe it wasn't the blue hash. It could have been something else. I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly. But, okay, so of the four of them, you have the three females, two very similar, completely short, compact, old-school, old-style indica with the great big fat buds that probably wouldn't be so good outdoors up in the Pacific Northwest, I guess. You know, the Coke bottle buds, I suppose, if it was a bigger plant. And uh, the the other one, the third female was much taller and thinner and she had more like uh finger shaped buds you know like train wreck style buds like that's what your logo looks like dutch like, yeah, like the, the zigzag train wreck fingers finger style buds and and on an alternating golf balls family. yeah yeah so uh but the but the and then the fourth one is this uh is i believe a male who's having a little trouble deciding what he was but you know the sisters are so good, and I'm I, you know I'm not totally against. I'll to check you know I'll try breeding him if he decides to at least be more or less a male, which I think he is. I'm not you know uh, we had the discussion with the other uh, breeder the other the guy the other day. I forget what his name was. You know and he was he was saying you know I was agreeing with him that hermaphrodites aren't the end of the world. Um, especially if you've worked with any <laughs> sativa land races, you're going to have to deal with some speaking of which i'm going to try and get breeders feedback on this soon for an update on this old breeding program down there because that was definitely one of the crazier episodes we've had recently and i, I talked to him yeah about a week or two and, and i think also just breeding cannabis has got a really bad name because there were a lot of people there were populous people that you know kept looking at it as this kind of you know seeds as this kind of cash crop and everything and so there's the backlash of that is it's everybody shaming everybody who makes a few seeds or makes their own cross or breeds their own cannabis. And I totally disagree with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think it's totally cool. To that, you, had, you had brought up just quickly. I don't want to get off on this too much, but there's a lot of ripoffs out there selling seeds. That's part of the reason it got dark about the, the shaming of exactly. the thing. They, everybody was looked at as like they were going to try to rip off the community by selling exactly. seeds that were bullshit, where they're not necessarily yep. bullshit, is what you're saying. There's, there yeah. are some good readers and good seeds out there to be had. But so that's the problem. People get on forums and they try to do it, although they get kicked out of forums usually. But they start seed banks out. And we see it on the forums all the time where a guy goes, yeah, I bought these seeds and they, you know, they never came or they came and none of them propagated you know it was like or they never had it and i called them and now they don't answer my emails or anything like that and i'm out 150 dollars sure. i'm glad you brought that up roger i'm glad you brought that up if anyone's curious uh, anyone can go to my youtube channel i have a whole seed starting guide the multiple videos on that um i know uh, uh dutch probably has some videos as well on his insta Ooh, I was yep, about it's to important to know how to do but, it. No, <laughs> I, I, and I guess my point was that I want to bring in, you know, and I've been wanting to reach out to you, bro. But uh, folks that that have been, have have a little more experience, it wasn't that I meant to knock on anybody making their own seeds. And I guess that was that's part of the point is that people should be making their own seeds, and they should be making seeds with intention 
you know, to, yeah. good to people, where they live good, and yeah. what, what their good growth style is, you know, most of the stuff we have coming around, it's like this cut that, you know, like whatever it is that somebody bred indoors, it's been passed around indoors and, uh, you know, I'm, it's in the same position where like, I'm, I'm going through, you know, I think we were, we were talking on the phone the other day. I'm going through hundreds of stuff right now. And it's like, I'm, I'm probably only keeping one or two or three things out of my whole garden right now. And it's been a real lesson to me, you know, that, that here's the path that I need to work down and follow this, that, that, that is working here outdoors in my area or in the greenhouse in my area, you know, yeah. a different experience when you can look at a thousand plants. It was one of the exactly up calls when I moved to Jamaica and I could start dealing with like, like a quarter acre, half acre. And I got a chance to look at like hundreds or thousands of plants with very similar genetics and then start looking at the different traits and different things that caused the things that I wanted. I learned an incredible amount, um, not only about how to weed out males and things like that, but also just how to study structure during development from even seedling to, to final flowering stage uh, in a way that I, I would never be able to do in a, in a say commercial setting in the United States. A lot of work, that many, a hundred, even a hundred plants is, uh, if you're really able to see a lot of traits, it's a have hell you, of a lot of work. Have you seen yeah. the, some of the videos from my YouTube channel? We uh, Even just one of those plots was about four acres and I think we had 8,000 plants or something like that. Staggering. Right. well wait wait till you guys hear kevin jodry man it's it'll it blows me away this guy they do sifts of you know like he, he uh they sifts of whatever seed like he gave me a creme brulee uh cut that he sifted himself at his farm and he said three thousand seeds and yep. uh this was the one they picked out of three thousand and it survived this crazy windstorm and it's like you know, that's the cut they're passing down. Oh and, my God. That's, that's what I meant. You know, it's not, it's no, not, the thing I'm not I was, I was dogging on any of this, any of what anyone does, anything about what anyone does. It's just that like, I want to bring in some folks that are doing real work and have been doing, oh, you know, if you really the think genetics, that I, I'm, the genetics you know, that I, just gave Mr. Green jeans are all from the plains of Colorado and are actually, there's a small amount of hemp bred into them to have that thicker stock core so that they can tolerate the 60, 70, 80 mile an hour winds wow. normally on oh, the that. And I actually just gave, so I'd love for Mr. Green Jeans to talk about them because I literally, he just grew them. So I'd love for him just to, don't listen to me, listen to him having just grown them. So I'll just shut up. Stiffest, uh, stiffest stems I've ever seen on those blue hash, including the tall one. And it, they were noticeable as seedlings. You know how seedlings are often, you know, that when they're just got the little cotyledons yeah. out, you know. And, but these guys were, you, you could literally flick them, you know, like, brr, brr, and they were tall. They weren't, you know, they were, they were not uh, like little, little short seedlings. They were growing up nice and tall, but the stem was just like, like wire already, even as a seedling. And then later on, you know, now they're, they're they're like a paintbrush. I mean, you when I when I swish them in water, if I give them a bath, you know, turn them upside down and swoosh them in the water, it's just like you can hold it by the stem, and you know, you could stir the stir the water, the tub up with one of them. You know, they're just stiff as you know. I mean, it's like it's like wood, literally that's the woody that. stem. And I mean, that, that that's an indica trait. You know, I've seen it for years. I mean, I've seen it in a million plants. Well, it's actually it's actually. A <laughs> Sativa, but not like that. 
those sativas and Weird Alice actually have extremely uh, much thicker um, walls yeah. on on the on the plant on the stems. But that, so those strains are all grown um, uh, east of Fort Collins. I can tell you that. So they're out yeah. in the plant. and those were all bred to like like yes, they had a windshield, but they still got battered quite a bit, being where they were. Um, and they were, you know, that's what they were bred for. So what's nice is they get huge colas and they can support them. You don't have to add, you know, anything to keep them structured. They just do it on their own, which is especially which saves big. money. I mean, you get farmers yeah, saves money, but it also, when you're dealing with big buds, like they, 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 the candelabra from those more sativas prevents bud rot because those buds have like 360 aeration. They don't get moldy the same way. So the, the, this Island sweet skunk, Durban poison, um, the one you were just talking about, um, all those, they have a big candelabra horizontal spread with real thicker stalks. And that's kind of what we tried to breed out with the blue hash and the um, Shirley temple that I gave you is, is, is these like horizontal candelabra plants that are windy, you know, as much as reasonable. I didn't know you had, I didn't know you had part in that Shirley temple. Oh dude, I have some of the earliest Shirley temple that was ever bred. Uh, if you want to get down on that strain, like I, I literally like, I have some of the the test seeds from that. In fact, that's what I gave him. We could, uh, we think we could feel the CBD when we smoked it. Me and my friend Doc, like he's he's about seventy. He's a Vietnam War vet. And, yeah, early uh, Temple. I have a, a, a lab test of like nineteen point eight percent CBD and like twenty two percent THC. Uh, when I crossed that with sour tsunami. It was noticeably like that's insane. That's just like forty percent club. There's a handful of people on earth that have broken that, and I have some lab testing from SC Labs that proves that. That's fucking dumb. That's like, badass, dude. We felt, we felt like we had pillows trapped like, under our feet. This is one. Of, this is one of the things that's frustrating to me when I hear about like Charlotte's Web or some of these other really low T CBD strains. And you see them tonic and some of these other stuff that are pushing 18, 19, 20, 30%, you know, 26, 27, 28% CBD, you know, or, or um, what's the other one? Uh, cherry, wine, cherry wine, I think it is. Or someone can correct me in, in chat. Um, something wine. I think it's cherry wine or someone. Want There's to a brandy wine, but that's not, that's not. No, uh, brandy wine. In fact, I got that. Glad you mentioned Brandywine. Brandywine is done by Dungeon Vault Genetics. They actually yeah, won. They won the Duke Grows Cup. Um, one of the years I was there, I know the guy that grew it. Um, he's in my phone. Um, I'm sorry, brother. I, I will. Uh, that's a nice. That's a really nice uh, um, indica dominant but, um, plant. Too. Oh my god! Really nice. It's incredible. It's trichy as fuck, but it does. It gets it's very bushy. Um, but uh, at least in my experience. But. Um, he uh, he won that with that, and he actually was kind enough to give me some brandy wine seeds uh, as a thank cool. you because I, I helped out with, uh, and all that stuff. And um, I love the Gross crew; uh, they help really help support their listeners. I cannot speak highly enough. Um, uh, you know, the dude and and Scotty help. You know, there's the reason why Marty and I. You know, I was like, damn, if they can do it, I can do it. Like, I love the format of their show. They just go on, they talk about their shit, and and just try to push what they're doing. And that's what inspired Marty and I. When Marty and I originally started the show, because everyone kept telling us you couldn't do aquaponic cannabis, and Marty and I were growing 
really dope buds and posting it all the time on Facebook. And we're like, and, and actually Marty and I got into a bit of a spat and we're like, Hey, you used to do root zone. Now he was like, you don't need to do root zone. And anyways, it was really <laughs> funny. And then we ended up hybridizing our methodology and we're like, wait a minute, why are we arguing? We should work together and, and, and push this whole technology. So Marty and I decided, Hey, let's stop like being opposing and let, let, let's work together and, and have kind of two different views, but the same goal of aquaponic cannabis. So we decided to start the, the, the podcast because him and I both were getting criticized constantly um, on, on different social media things saying, Hey, this, this doesn't work. And we're like, Hey, I got pictures of really fat dang buds that kind of prove that wrong. Like wh what the fuck? So we wanted to educate everyone. So we did that for a long time. And then now, you can only do aquaponic cannabis so much, to be honest with you, before you just, you're not going to get more guests. It's kind of a weird niche topic. So we've now expanded to just being a sustainable uh, aquaponic uh, vegetable and cannabis and fruit and tree, you know, fruit tree and, and just sustainable gardening podcasts and being more general. That's why we include more soil guests, more aquaponic guests, more hydroponic guests, more organic hydroponic guests. And just trying to bring that on to the, hey, what's best for the environment? And if we're going to do this long term, we're going to do this off world, if we're going to move to Mars, or we're going to, you know, do this in a way that's going to be infinitely sustainable. So I want to try to regenerate as much as possible. That's why I love the Dragon Earth people. They love to grow plants for the purpose of remineralization. And, and, and I love that concept. And I love to hybridize that with KNF and with the aquaponics. And I'd love to, like, I feel like they, like, they have incredible work. But you could hybridize that with some of the other stuff that not only myself, but other people are working on and come up with something that's even fucking trippier than what they're working on. And that's something that like, I can't wait to go to BC and see their farm and, and trip out with them on. And I'm super excited about Josh and, and, and all the hard work he's done to put these conferences together and get a chance to, to spend time with these people on their local turf. And, um, and, and I'll be honest with you. And I've said this before. So I've been in the cannabis industry quite a while. Um, I have never been to an industry conference that was as informative and educational as the stuff that Josh puts on. Um, Josh and Layton really worked fucking hard in the beginning and invested a lot and spent a lot of their own sweat and tears and sacrificed a hell of a lot. And if you guys even knew half the shit that went on behind the scenes and how much work they put in and all the crazy bullshit that came up even last minute, like mid-conference and some of the shit that happened... I mean, and Josh knows what I'm talking about, but I ain't about to mention it. It's fucking hysterical. Like, like these guys are wizards, and I can't be happier to see this much energy put into just education. And I, I cannot recommend enough. You will not learn more in a weekend for the amount of money that you will spend than the conferences that Josh puts on. And 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 I, if you want, if you if you think you're wrong, I'm happy to take you up on that. Like, uh, personally, like, like, like you will not be more educated. He, he spends a lot of time. You get a chance to pick these people's brains. And if you, even if you're not on the conference, you can ask them outside. A lot of these speakers hang out, listen to the other speakers, you know, they're, they're hanging around. So you can go ask them outside in between on breaks, whether, you know, everyone's smoking a cigarette or everyone's having lunch or whatever. Like you get, a, you get an intimate experience with a lot of these people that you simply do not get a chance to have in any other kind of environment. And it's really one of a kind of experience and I can't recommend his stuff enough. And I, I really am, am honored to be part of it, uh, everything he's putting on and the education he provides. And I want to thank Josh again for all that. Wow. Dude. Yeah. I well, can't wait, man. I can't I, wait. Uh, 
uh, work. One other funny thing. I mean, now just because you're saying it. Um, look at my stoned red cheeks. Um, <laughs> I, I just finished that thing. I'm I'm really ripped ripped on it. Um, but uh, we're talking about as I say it. We're talking about starting the school, and uh, there's it's not for sure yet. But we're just put, gonna put start putting the word out um, to see if there's any interest. And, and a school might be be too big of a word, but maybe not. Maybe maybe it's too small of a word um, in some ways. It it would be like a, a ten month, twelve month deal uh, on my farm uh, here in Washington, and it would include pretty much all the speakers um, from the conferences on a bit on a, on a larger scale. You know, some more time and uh, more intimate. It would just, you know, this is going to be for a few people, you know, 10, 15 tops type deal. And, um, and you'd go through all the stuff. So when you were talking about it, Steve, I got, I was getting super excited. I don't know if you saw me. I was just like, yeah, yeah. Cause you're talking, like combining all the stuff together is really what, what, what my jam is. Um, like well, I am. And, what's but, great is you can be an aquaponic expert, a soil expert, a hydroponic expert, and you will learn a whole bunch yep. of different things for pest management or nutrients or, or, or whatever. There's, there's so many different topics that are covered. And like some of the stuff is groundbreaking. Like some of the stuff that I've talked about with Dr. Faust without getting into details has been incredible. And, and definitely check out his episode, Dr. Epstein, um, uh, uh, also, um, uh, maybe I mispronounced his name, but also he had a great episode as well on the podcast. He was part of the conference last time. Um, but uh, you know, you'll learn, you know, breaking news and, and bleeding edge soil science and, and chemistry stuff and, and things that we just didn't understand or didn't understand to replicate or mass produce. And it, it's why I love being involved because no one here is trying to sell any products. Everyone's just trying to talk about an ideology or a science or a methodology or, or trying to make you think in a different way that maybe would help you in what you're doing. No one's trying to push anything. No one's trying to sell you anything. And it's one of the things that I, aside from everything else, was a really good takeaway from the whole conference, which is very different from, you know, a lot of the other big conferences, they charge you that, but half the people are trying to sell you something and, and that's not what this conference is about. That's true. We're definitely not selling anything. We're trying to make it, make farmers succeed. Um, that proceeds. Yeah, one one thing we're hoping to pull off is to try to get very cheap, make very cheap available compost tea brewers and uh, sprayers um, somehow, so that the, the folks that come can can take advantage of like really good deals, you know, on on high quality shit. I have a couple ideas, but I I don't exactly have it figured out, so I'm I'm being kind of vague, but. It's kind of what we're trying to do is trying to really put all the tools. Here's genetics. If you actually need them, there's a seed swap. People are bringing beans. Like, here's the how-to on IPM, on KNF. You know, and these aren't, it's not a full meal deal. But here, here's the KNF. Here's the, you know, soil food web basics with the lane. Here's uh, what Layton does. Here's uh, chemistry with chip. Um, here's aquaponics and, like, that's what I. That's kind of where I was talking about the idea of a school. Is is that's really my jam, and I see a place for all of this stuff in in a in a really truly functioning farm. Um, I'm not sold on any of them 100. percent Like I I wouldn't if I had a you know all the money I wouldn't set up a full on aquaponic farm. 
and and maybe you would, Steve, and that that you know that's cool, you know. But but I see a there's a lot of places that I would want to put it, um, and even in one greenhouse, like I think there should be an aquaponic component to every greenhouse because of the sustainability it brings to having you know the media beds uh, that ha- that hold the heat or cooling um, and all the water, like you know. So I see it as as definitely a part of almost every little environment you're setting up. But but I also really am into the mycorrhizae connection and the connection to the actual earth. Um, and, and I think that's important to the plants actually get grounded, um, electric, electrically, uh, to the earth and, and have connection. And anyways, I'm ranting, but, um, so I'm just throwing the school idea out there. Um, there's kind of some serious talk about it and it could be a real cool thing. It would be a, a big deal. And, and we try to have job placement, um, be a part of it and scholarship be a part of it because it's expensive to do it very expensive like as expensive as it is to go to college to be honest uh, for a year of college but um, there's ways to work it out and and we can grow weed and sell weed to pay for it that's kind of cool so that I think that's a cool concept that people come to school to learn how to grow weed, grow weed and, and market it and sell it all the way through and, and, and use all these different techniques, you know, aquaponics, KNF, no-till, soil food web, you know, there, you can test it all, put it all, you know. Anyways, just throwing that's that out there. That's, that's a good, uh, that's a good concept you came up with. I know it would, it would be fun, you know, and, um, keep your farm going too. Yeah, for sure keep me busy as heck <laughs> what, what was it last week eric i love oh that. i wasn't there with the yeah i know that's the uh knf thing yeah. right the heart it was the heart yeah, yeah the heart yeah the heart but they do the half you yeah. know so that you do it with somebody else and, and you meet up and it's the, the right so the other person's doing this half and you're doing this half uh-huh. yeah <clears throat> Oh, I got you. you so, right, yeah. So it's like a tea. Like if you and me, we, like you do handshake. this half, and I do that half, and it'd be like a handshake. Yeah. yeah, or you do it with your hands, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what they do. Cool. And they say aloha a lot. I missed aloha. the show, and I didn't get to. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I really want to. What last week? Yeah, yeah, last week I with Eric. Uh, yeah, because you were at home. Drink. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was, I was out of town. Yeah, yeah man, that's, it was good. <laughs> that's what I said. That's what I said when I found out you were in chat. I said, or I had just said it or something like that. Josh is going to hate. I just, you. I had just landed. That's what was going on. I was flying and I had just landed and I was like, oh shoot, I'm missing the show. So I hopped on chat as we were uh, taxiing in and I was like, oh, well, you know, saying what's up. Yeah, you would have liked to. You'd have liked to have been on that panel. Like I was like, damn, that Josh would have been talking about this right here. Yeah. yeah well, it sounds like Eric would be back once. Would be glad to be on again. He was a, you know, he was another one of those guests we had a great time with. Um, he uh, he's had his own different way of explaining things, which was really cool. You know? Is he? I I don't know. I don't. I don't know him at all. Does he have experience with cannabis? Uh, I talk can't. about that. What were we, I think so, but Steve, do you remember? Because I honestly, I, we talked so much. It wasn't so much about cannabis as KNF. We talked yeah. about last week. 
and and the, I'm sure it came up, but as far as I wouldn't be the one to answer that for sure. You know, uh, perhaps Mr. Green Jeans or uh, especially Steve might be able to remember. You know what, what, where we delved into cannabis. You know, uh, it would be cool to have Jeff on just because Jeff and um and him just did a a, a, a tour of sorts. Um, you know, teaching K, K and F in a couple spots. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. So you didn't say that. You said he he so he can do level two, and now because of you going to uh, Chris's school, you're you're able, you can teach level one, right? Isn't that true? Yep. Level and level one's like a bit. Yes, it's like a an introduction. Yeah. So, so. so kudos to you for going to school, and now you're a level one K and F instructor, yes. and you got a friend that's a K a level two oh, instructor, mm-hmm. and we know Chris and Eric, and we're pretty much hooked up, brother. You know we are. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I really we really had a great time last week. Uh, we. You know, we do with all our guests, but yeah, Eric was Eric was great. You know, he even, you know, he took it on the chin a couple of times, pretty good too. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, real good sport. Oh, cool. Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was a blast. He, I mean, uh, we had our analogies. I love the analogies that were coming up. You know, the way I explain it, like some like a parable, like something else in life or something. You know, that how do you compare it so that a layman can understand that this means this and. You know, what is Steve Pat? You know, you notice how Steve couldn't couldn't talk all night, and then all of a sudden, when he got on that, you know, that that rant a while ago, he he was like his voice got higher pitched, and he was like, you know, all he needed to do was talk for a while again. You know? get excited, yeah. <laughs> Loosen back up again. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. My voice is still pretty sharp. No, I'm, I know. I'm just because I couldn't get you to respond, so I figured I'd pick on you. I'm the yeah. world's wor- worst joint roller. You guys are about to see it. Oh, just Lordy. It's going to happen right here. In live I TV. thought this was a tutorial. TV, live TV action here. It's so, on YouTube. Well, well, we, well, well, we're in a kind of a segue area. I want to give a shout-out to Aquaponic Dummy. I got. Well, I didn't get to actually talk to him, but I did get to Skype or message with him, and uh, found that he's back home in Maine. You know, I think we mentioned it last week, or maybe not. I told somebody, but the city of of Van Buren, Maine, had half emptied out his store and his residence and stole all, all, almost everything he had of value. You know, allowed people go. You know, they went in there, and you know, they're going through a big thing, but. It's, He's back home and he's fighting them and looks like he's going to do okay. Uh, he's going to come out okay, hopefully. Got a lawyer and all that stuff. And um, I don't want to go too much beyond that. But he said he's then going to go on a, a vacation. He's decided that because they destroyed everything he had built there, he's not going to give it up because that's what he considers his home now. But he is going to go on a little tour. He's going to come down and see us and, I'm going to try to uh, get him to meet us at the conference, too. There's a very good chance he might be able to come oh. to one of the conferences. Because he's in Maine, so, you know, I originally... Are you thinking about, about coming out there to Portland? Well, I'm, I'm considering... I'm, I don't, I, I'm going to consider... I'm going to look at the one that's the best one for me at the time, uh, since everybody I want to see is going to be at both of them. But, and it also has to do with him. If I can only go to one, then it might just be Maine if he's going to go. But if he's not going to go, I might go to Michigan. It just depends, you know. You know, you'd, really, the- you'd really, you'd really be down to hear Josh and Kelly 
Um, what they do is is uh, they were on the show. Dragonfly, you mean? Yeah, they were on the show. Exactly. You, yeah, you I know, know them, I, but yeah, they were what very, they do is so yeah. really magical, and and um, they just bring a whole cool dynamic to it. But yeah, they wanted to tell me I could this ferment. Is, this is I could ferment problem. him and, and get all the these things. That's what nice. There. No, it's not. Look it's at that. Pregnant. It, it's pregnant. Is what they call it. it. Looks like a club. Yeah. Yeah. See. You, you gotta, gotta make. You gotta make two hills and a dent in the center. <laughs> yep. It you smokes do. all right, but uh, it be you know. That's all I, I like to, here. I used to justify it because then I'd be like, usually about about the point that I got to the pregnant part, that uh, everyone else would pass would be you know, oh, I'm good, I'm good, and then I'd hit the good stuff, you know, and that would make <laughs> sense, but. Now I'm just smoking them by myself, and it, I just I can't do it. It's because I can't roll a joint. I'm gonna give you a joint rolling lesson when when uh, we meet. <laughs> I'll show you how to do that shit. Cool man. I'm thinking about getting a vape, another vaporizer. I'm seriously thinking about that. I want to quit smoking. You yeah, this this Pax is really good, Roger. I I highly recommend this. This Pax Three. It's a nice one. You guys it's ever seen this? Rug. This is this is what I rolled that big bleasy with. Oh yeah, cool, yeah. Have you seen these devices where you like? Totally. Oh, I'll try to, yeah, you yeah. pack it in there. It's got a, a little yeah. pen, and you just like. Yeah. Yeah. Close it's it like up. Like cigarette then, machine. Yeah, that's like your cigarette. Jam it in there. Yeah. You get a paper and a round yeah. cylinder. So what is that? Pack three, just a vaporizer. Yeah, it's for dry herb. Uh, it's for dry flower, and it also has a um, there's a little uh, has a little you know oven in there. But it also has a an extra uh, attachment, an oven that can use uh, concentrates. Right, and yeah, that's where my my uh, iolite. I have an iolite that I told you about, but I've never been able to find it because I well I, I know I kind of know where it is, but I have to move a bunch of shit to dig it out from underneath a seat. Like in my studio, I've got all these seats that come up in their storage area. I got guitar amps and guitars or it's under my bed, which got, you know, it's just a pain in the ass that y'all have. But uh, I'm thinking about buying a, that's nice. I like those, but I was going to buy a more powerful one. Uh, like I was thinking about buying a, like a, I might go to buy a volcano or a silver surfer or something like that. You know, that's what I'm talking about. This company called Ariser it makes some really nice uh, yeah. table ones, and you know, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a table one. I want a table. One. Yeah, I've got a, I've got one yeah. very similar to that. I bet you, because you say it's got a little chamber, it's got a little pin that sticks up in the middle. Yeah, that's just yeah. like an highlight. Does it run off of propane? I mean, uh, 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 the, the packs. No, it's electric. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no, it's electric. Mine runs off yeah. of butane, and then you never need a battery. It just has one of those electrostatic clickers, oh. like, a, like a grill. And you use, like, quintuple refi refined butane, vector butane, and you put it in there. That's why, hey, for you people out there, here's a little public service announcement. You know all those real nice butane lighters you got that won't ever light? It's because you use Ronson all crappy, oily, dirty, nasty butane fluid. If you want to make those lighters work again, look on eBay or Amazon or somewhere and find some vector quintuple refined butane and load that sucker up with that, and it'll blow out that crap, and your your nice lighters will work again. And that works for your – and if you've got a butane-powered 
vaporizer or anything. You got to make sure you use a very clean, and it's not that expensive, really. I buy cans that are about that big, about that big around, quite big, quite a, quite a lot of loads of uh, uh, butane for a few bucks a piece. I usually buy like two or three at a time. And I think the Vector, you, you find them at a cigar shop. Go to online and look at cigar shops, you know, stuff like that, because they sell the butane lighters to light the cigars, so they sell the fine butane. Well, that's where you'll find it at anyway. You know, in, in fact, if you want to buy it locally, don't go to the head shop. Go to the cigar shop. And, uh, all right, well, that's my little public service announcement. But that's what my highlight did, Doug. And so that's just powered off of, you said. It's electric. It's electricity. Electricity. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's got a little, char it's rechargeable battery. It's totally self-contained. It's got a battery inside it. Oh, okay, okay. And it's okay. got it's got a bunch of electronics it even it plays a bunch of games with the little with the four little led lights oh yeah, yeah. LED, it, it's like the dude who designed it is some ex silicone valley guy you know and it's a pretty it's a pretty nice device it's not so much of a better vape there's an, a lot of other vaporizers probably even dry flower ones that are comparable that are a lot cheaper i think this one's like Still 250 or almost 300 for the pack. For the full, uh, the full arrangement. There's a bunch that are definitely cheaper, but this one just has the really cool. It has really cool electronics. It's got a bunch of games in it. It's got Simon. I haven't cracked it on my other one. When I cracked a 20 a 20 sequence Simon, it started playing Funky Town. Funky. You you would push the button and you turn it on and you could hear right next to put the put the I'm totally not kidding you. You put the uh, put the end of the packs next to your ear, and you hear. And you're like, "Wow, that's incredible!" And it's just because you passed a a, a twenty sequence game of Simon, which is uh, so it uses the four right, and it'll it'll start flashing different sequences, and you hold it and you tip it that way and shit. Super fun. But yeah, but that's the pack, you know, it's just it, it, fucking nerdy, I guess. Pardon my language. Well, I'll just say that on YouTube. Uh, yeah, it's nerd. But it is a good it is a good vaporizer, you know. I think it's a really good dry herb vaporizer. I've tried a couple of the other ones. Maybe How's not quite it punch box. That was the first one I ever ordered. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if they make that anymore. It's made by some Christian company. They have like Bible verses on the back. It's pretty interesting. Very, very peculiar, I guess, for the cannabis industry, but uh, positive energy is positive energy. It's, um, it's cool to be control uh, the temperatures uh, really different. You know, like the lower temperatures are definitely give you an effect. It's different than the higher temperatures and stuff like that. Right, uh, right. right. That's two topics a little bit. Uh, Mr. Green Jeans, what's been going on with you? Uh, I know we talked before the show, but maybe you want to give us a recap of what's going on with the genetics. You picked up some seeds from my spot, and you've had some different results. Why don't you tell everybody what's going on? Oh yeah, man. Um, it makes you feel like fantastic. <laughs> I, you you really picked a bunch of cool seeds. Um, the yeah, they they're really interesting. The the flow uh, X Chem Dog. That's a really nice plant. Um, the uh, brandy wine. That was Dungeon Vault Genetics is the brandy wine. Uh, that was a great plan. Only a single seed is the only one I got. It was really nice. All these turned out to be females. 
including the, uh, the Shirley Temple, uh, which was, you know, had great uh, effects. Me and my friend uh, Doc, we tested it and it was, you know, like I said, it, it felt like we, we had pillows slapped, you know, on our on our feet. And, you know, it's very, uh, we're kind of like, you know, feeling very carefree was obviously uh, there was something going on there. So <laughs> must be the CBD. And uh, yeah, then the blue hash. Oh, my God. Incredible. Those are fantastic. And uh, and I also like the, the Colorado ones was uh, the SWAT was SWAT. That one was also, I think, Steve, didn't you say that was also from the Fort Collins area? And that's also where, uh, is that where the uh, part of Blue Hash is from? Half of it or something like that? Anyway. <laughs> Steve. Yo, anyway. Yeah, so uh, that's the. Uh, uh, yeah, that's no, the I mean, tell them, what, tell them how your genetics are coming. The what? <laughs> Tell them about the different genetics are growing and how that's going. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I, I grew. I've grown a bunch of your stuff, and then, of course, I've got uh, you know this giant collection of uh, select clones and everything like that, and a bunch of nice tested males and everything. So, uh, yeah, so I made some crosses. Uh, I crossed the uh, you know because I had to. A couple of the plants you gave me were. Uh, the seeds, uh, you know, were females, you know, so they had no brother. There was nobody to cross them with. So I, uh, let's see, the uh, Shirley Temple, she got crossed with the Grand Slam, with Grand Slam male. Grand Slam is also Dungeon Vault genetics, I think, right? Or is that also, is that from? Uh, the Grand Slam is also Dungeon Vault, yes. Yeah, it's Dungeon Vault, yeah, yeah. And uh, the other ones, the other two uh, uh, single ladies, the Brandywine and the Flo Chemdog, I crossed them both with White Wizard because I had a nice White Wizard male who was kicking around. He was doing his thing. And so I got those seeds are half and half. And then you're uh, also the Blue Hash, which you say is an F1. So that was already a cross between something and something else. What were the parents of that? What did you know? Sure. So that was um, a hash plant um, and a blue dream. On which side? That, that I crossed. Yeah. Male. And I back crossed that with an Afghan one. So it's a cross of a cross. Right. But which one was the male and which one was the female? Oh, sure. So the, um, the hash plant was the female and the blue dream was the male originally. Oh. Nice. Um, do you know what the blue the blue dream was? Was it related to what line? Was it like the Santa Cruz? Was it maybe related to the Santa Cruz well, cut or? It was from you know? um, uh, Green Tree Medicinals in Colorado. Oh yeah, Green Tree Medicinals. Nice. So yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to get some backstory too because you know you have to be. Uh, this is the important thing about breeding, folks. Is the story is everything, right? So. So, um, so it was the blue dream from there, and then they had a hash plant. Yeah. Um, uh, that you could also buy, and I got cuts from both of those, and then I had a separate friend that had some really dank Afghan one that I just got 
from the whole other source. And I crossed the first two and did two generations of that where I crossed the male and female of that, the spawn and kind of stabilized it a little bit. And then I crossed that with the Afghan one. And that's what I gave you. Nice. Well, it was some damn good work. I got to tell you. <laughs> so yeah, that's the important thing about, uh, you know, when breeding, you know, it's the story and everything. And nowadays that's, that's the real deal is, you know, that uh, I forgot to mention that before, you know, people talking about uh, just making their own crosses and everything, which I absolutely support, you know, uh, the, ultimately the important thing is the story, you know, don't, don't lose the story. Don't, and to which and to the ends of that you have to keep your labels really straight you know you have to be really serious on yourself with labels <laughs> you gotta be <laughs> sorry that was my public yeah, announcement so, now, though, so <laughs> now you can just send off for uh um send off for the phylos project and you send in your tissue samples and they'll give you a genetic analysis and you don't actually have to you can actually just find out what the fuck it really is and not what made up name it is <laughs> which is wonderful about our day and age like anybody even if you're in a less as we like to call it less than legal state can send in tissue samples to this um just don't give a return address wink wink um and uh and, and add their genetics to the collection and actually find out because they'll give you an analysis on your genetics that you're growing so even if you're just some gorilla grower in the middle of bumblefuck you can still benefit from this and, and anonymously as well so I highly suggest um, if, you're, if you're down and trying to educate yourself, it's definitely something to think about getting involved in. Totally. I'm working on getting one of the representatives on the show, by the way. I've sent two emails. I'm just waiting to hear back. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to apologize. We will have Ronald Wallace on the show here soon. He's one of the great pumpkin growers. Um, he was hopefully going to be on the show this week. I had to cancel it on this uh, again last minute. But we're going to have him on here uh, at some point uh, in the next few weeks. So I do apologize. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and uh, thanks for everybody everybody sending me emails, man. It's been great from this podcast. Um, you know, my, I, and I, I'm answering them all. I, I don't mind typing. I type really crazy. It doesn't take a second out of my day. I type a million like a piano player. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, keep the questions coming. And thanks for all the inquiries about the genetics. It's been great. <laughs> Greenjeansgarden.com. <laughs> That's it. I don't got nothing to say. I'm finished. Look at this lovely Oreo plant. Wow. She's nowhere near finished. Growing in a little container down here. Little two gallons. Ooh, stinky. Really smelly. Which one's that? It's Oreo. It's really awesome. It's it's nowhere near done. It's still about yeah. a, two or three weeks from done. And it's just in a little pot. And it, it's all sticky. It's all leaning on me. It's got a lot of resin on it already. Fresh cuts from you. I let myself go a little too far. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, no problem. Whatever I got. You gave me. A, I'll post some pictures on Instagram tomorrow. They're looking real sexy right now. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> you got to do a run. You got to do. You got to go for the world's record next year. They're like they're like four feet tall, and like I 
didn't even veg them like ever. And they're like dealing in the redwood forest, so we already get like less light than normal. Like, yeah, and fucking four feet tall from clone, like in no time. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, and it'll, it'll still go well. They get like, get really beefy. They'll uh, just give them a. The you said you was, you said it didn't seem like they needed much water. Is this the Maybe. Oreo? You're no, yeah. So yeah. I'll be honest with you, compared to everything else, they, they use way less water. Hmm. Interesting. Way less water. Hmm. Well, just that I, I, we were thinking that my friend George's was, you know, we think of maybe around, I don't know, nine or 10 pounds, which is pretty big, not that huge. But he was saying that, you know, he didn't, he knows he didn't give it in anywhere near enough water. And uh, because it got so, you know, got so big that it probably required who knows how much every day, you know, it was just a giant plant. Um, I found so I water it at the moment I see the leaves stop praying and and yeah. I, I found that it, I I need to water it maybe once a week. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you know yeah thin thin sativa leaves stuff oh, like yeah. that. It's not sativa yeah. still need a little less water. All your all your African strains need a little bit less water. Maybe it, it, that's true. It is definitely very heat resistant. Um, it doesn't mind high temperatures, and yeah, it's, it's it's an African strain. It's half African strain. That's exactly right. It's a good point. Maybe that'll improve the quality of it too. It's a kind of plant, but but yeah, and and especially maybe protected against uh, mold and stuff up there in the, in the redwoods, <laughs> you know, because it I think it's prone to if you give it a lot of uh, you know, um, uh, phosphorus and water and everything, it's prone to getting a big, fat, gigantic bud, which prob- probably would be mold-prone, I suppose, especially since it's going to flower a long time and it'll be cold, you know? So, you know, it'll be interesting. It's going to be a challenge. That, that that plant's a real fucking... It kicks everybody, every grower's ass in some way or another. It's a teaching plant. <laughs> I'm not such a good teacher, but Oreo is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Everybody comes away after growing Oreo going, damn, that plant is something. <laughs> one day, one day. One day. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Roger, anybody, I'll, I'll give you, you guys can have. But, uh, the only thing is going to have. Probably gonna have spider mites on it. The one I gave Steve definitely had spider mites. It's like, no, <laughs> I know. Like my 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 wife posts pictures on Instagram, and people come back and they go, "Oh my god, you got spider mites!" I'm like, yeah. They just I, they don't bother me anymore. I I manage them now with water dips, you know, and um, they just they're not a problem, you know, like. Well. <laughs> I could, I, mean, I could. Lemongrass oil helps a lot, huh? Lemongrass oil helps a lot, and early in veg especially. Yeah, I should use that in the dips. I've, I've been thinking of using because sometimes I, I do double dips with something like a soap or a, a neem, but I'd like to do a, a single dip with something a light, a lighter application of something like that, like lemongrass or something. That sounds really cool. Because it's really the it's really more the uh, the friction of the water that really knocks the mites off. You know, you you kind of swoosh the plant up and down in the water, and they really they the persimilus like will take care of that, man. The what? The persimilus. 
Uh, you mean the uh, predator mites? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but and, and in fact, you know, I have them in the, I have in the backyard. I have predator mites. Just the other day, what I do sometimes is I take a plant outside and then I bring it back inside. Oh yeah, and the other start, day. Yeah, because like you take yeah. it outside, the predator mites get to it, then you bring it back inside. Yep, and they spread around. Um. <laughs> I've done, I've done it a million times. It's really funny because it's like the opposite uh, theory of a lot of people are trying to block out the outside. I think I was talking about this the last podcast, the, the idea of the sealed grow room, you know, and all this, the, the controlled environment. I'm kind of trying to bring the outside in, you know, and uh, a predator mites, it's definitely a way to go. And the ones that you get in your yard are are pretty cool because they're, they're already, you know, they kind of, maybe they're, I, I have no idea what species there are, and I know there's a couple different ones. You can usually tell they run fast. <laughs> hey, there's one of those speedy dudes there. <laughs> right? They have to be able to run down the other, <laughs> the other mites. <laughs> yeah. Quick. Quick. <laughs> Quick, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because yeah, I don't, I don't, mites don't really bother me. I sometimes I tell people like uh, the the first thing to do is uh, you know seek therapy and <laughs> change your attitude about them because people people want to you know wipe them out and stuff like that. And actually, you can you know, I, you, you, it's not that you can't, but that they that they may be back. They probably be back. Mister Green Jeans will give you a clone. Oh yeah, um, I don't mean to cut you short. It's getting a little bit late, and I want to make sure. Yeah, sorry. About the yeah. and survival. Right I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to um, give him a little bit of time before I absolutely out after a long day of work. I'm done. Um, Roger, uh, uh, do you want to um, tell us about how you survived the hurricane and what's going on? Oh no, we're well. We're waiting to see if we get any flooding because the the, the flooding is still flood in Georgetown County. It's still uh, flooding. In fact, you know the flood level rose. It's part of the natural thing, you know. Thing as the water, you know, starts to recede, it floods where it came through and yeah. raises the water there. And we could get a. It was actually told to me the other day, and it makes sense that we might have a flooding issue, but we're not getting any rain right now. We're well, it's actually raining right now, but we're getting. It's very sparse. Uh, we're. Uh, I went out and it was drizzling a while ago. We we're supposed to have pretty good rain today and it didn't rain at all today. It's raining a little tonight. Um, it was supposed to be late afternoon dinner time and then uh, then tomorrow a little bit and then Friday was supposed to be or, or to, actually I, I yeah maybe I've got it backwards but um, tom tomorrow Saturday is supposed to be pretty heavy rain but the way the weather people showed a radar locally is we're on the uh, we're going to be on the southeastern side of the bad rain. Well, it's the way the, the pressure system's holding up right now here. Uh, there's going to be a pressure system that pushes through. And I just heard thunder outside. So perhaps it's pushing through tonight. Um, and once it's gone, we're going to have clear sailing for a few days. And uh, hell, it was 99 heat index today. Even with the, you know, with the clouds and stuff, it was 90 degrees here. And uh, it's going to, we're finally going to start to look like it's beginning to think about being fall next week. It'll get down in the about 85 to you know, 80 next week, supposedly. 
So we'll see what happens. We're getting to get into the high 60s or 70s at night, which will start making the whole thing a lot more comfortable. And uh, we'll get a, start getting a lot of work done. But I don't have a lot to say. I was going to actually, uh, before we got deep into the spider mite rabbit hole, I was going to actually say it's about that time. <laughs> you know, I got a couple things I want to say, but that I can't share on air. So uh, it's about that time. And I want everybody can come see me at ilovegrownmarijuana.com and got some things on the horizon. Once fall comes and I can get my, my uh, outdoor farm work done which is really never done but at least kind of caught up to where i feel like i can do some other things i'll be going to be finishing a couple of online product projects that are going to be really neat for everybody involved you know uh and we'll be promoting all of us and all of what we're doing you know that's providing everybody wants to participate you know so it'll be pretty cool and i've talked a little bit with steve about it but that's about it for me i'm just glad we had a good show tonight it was fun. I got a had a buddy from Australia come and do the show. It's actually tomorrow afternoon over there. You know, he was doing that mid afternoon. For those of you that don't know, he he joined us a little after lunchtime, and he got off around three, about three o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock in Australia tomorrow afternoon. So, uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. That was really cool to hear about what you're doing over there and how you how you're French in Australia and you know all that stuff. And we got a little got a little soap opera going on over there you know <laughs> that's me i like mr green G said 20 minutes ago i got nothing else to say <laughs> all right anybody else of uh the josh why don't you tell people how to find you and your your website one more time before we go close up uh dutch blooms on instagram uh i also do the uh regenerative organic cannabis on instagram but uh, the website is regenerative organic cannabis.com so yeah you come to the conference if you're in, in any of those areas like be super fun to hang out and um, meet anybody and everybody and there you go what about uh you mr green jeans how do people find you and all the wonderful things you do Got greenjeansgarden.com. Yeah. And uh, I guess, and my wife also has uh, an Instagram account that she's been posting a lot of pictures on too, which is really cool. Thanks to all those people. And yeah. <laughs> uh, what Thanks. about, sweet. What about you, Roger? I, I put you a new link in the description there for you. Yeah, I didn't know I had any link in there. I've been meaning to get that one to you because that's hold on for a long time. Which what does it say? And it says I love growing marijuana.com, but now I switch it to you. It has that and your personal. Okay. Well, so I just want the one that I sent you yesterday or the day before okay. that alone. And thank you very much for for doing that for all of us. You know. But that's, but I'll give you another link in a couple. Well, that's one of the things I, you know, I was telling you about. I can't talk about on air. I just kind of talking about things that aren't ready yet. So, you know. All right. Well, definitely check it out. Uh, if you want to support Roger, he's got a great forum over there and all kinds of resources and products for people that love to grow. So, um, we, we've got an aquaponics section and I'm getting ready to start a KNF section. They do all kinds of giveaways and things over there. So, definitely check it out if you're looking for cool products. We have fun. It's a very friendly and mature forum. You won't you won't get called stupid and you won't be cussed out over there. Guarantee it. Yep. All right. 
the learning environment. I've been running around like a maniac. I've been, uh, I was up at the Castro Castle last week. Big shout out to uh, Wayne Justman and um, um, Jeff, Jeff Perone. I was up at the, uh, and hanging out with them. So that was a lot of fun. And then uh, just working on uh, licensing stuff and just trying to tighten up some of the stuff we got going on business end and uh, move in this weekend. So hopefully. Uh, Good for you. I figure out what day I can move into my new place. I got everything settled. I just don't know what my move-in date is, but uh, I'll be in a really cool spot near the beach. And um, yeah, uh, so if we end up not having a show next week, it's just because my internet connection isn't set up yet. Um, hopefully that'll happen, but uh, you know, guarantees. So um, yeah, just as a heads up, if there isn't a show next week, it's not because anything happened. I just uh, couldn't schedule the internet guy to install internet where I'm living in. Alrighty. So, um, anyways, uh, thanks everyone for watching, and we'll catch you guys again next time. Cheers. Y'all have a good night now. I appreciate all of you that uh, watch on the episode and uh, listen to the audio formats. Check them out at SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Weed TV, uh, the Weed Tube, um, Reddit, Reddit. Uh, all over the place. I try to post it up as many places as I can. So, uh, if you're listening to it in any of those other formats and you want to watch a video version or a, um, an audio version, uh, now you know. Cheers. <laughs>